Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. And today we're here to talk about Kevin's pick, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, directed by George Roy Hill from 1969, starring uh, the incomparable Paulie Newman mm. and uh, Robbie Redford. And uh, we're also going to be talking about lots of other stuff we watched, and I don't, I don't know what else. There's nothing else to talk about. How are you guys doing today? So far, so good. It's great. Just pounding, pounding movies. Pounding them. <laughs> yeah, I've been watching a lot of shit, too. Mm. Um, and also, yeah, lots and lots of television. JR was saying before we started recording that uh, he's been watching more and more TV, mm. which is unusual for him. I, you know, it, we, my wife and I are watching TV together. So, you know, I've seen more Masked Singer than I'd like oh, Jesus we watched <laughs> we watched tiger king we're watching the uh, little fires everywhere series on hulu that i'm not enjoying right now mm. you know mm. but i'm gonna watch some good tv at some point probably well like i say i have a i have a good actually i could just talk about it right now because it's not really a you know it's not a movie so it's not something i watched mm. but um you should check out okay you ready great ready. recommendation here it's a it's a show called cursed films it's on Shutter. You can get free Shutter for a month mm. with uh, the promo code SHUTIN, S-H-U-T-I-N, right now for the virus situation they're giving away a month free. And it's a great show, a documentary show about um, the these films that are supposedly cursed. Mm. There's been three episodes so far, one on The Exorcist, one on The Omen, one on Poltergeist. But the two that are coming out next week are the most exciting. The Crow Uh and Twilight Zone, the movie. So very, very exciting. Uh, Excited to watch those. You can't wait to hear about that helicopter crash. (laughs) I know, right? I looked up the grisly footage on YouTube before. Um, Yeah, it's pretty pretty intense. Mm. But... uh, yeah, I mean, I not just JR. I highly recommend it to everybody. It's a cool. great, great program, and it's directed by uh, all the episodes are directed by Jay Cheel, who did a great documentary called How to Build a Time Machine a couple of years ago. Mm. And uh, before that, he did another one called Beauty Day. These are great, great docs. Check them out. I think those are both on Hulu, also, actually. Mm. But um, yeah, cursed films, man, get on it. <laughs> so as the as the name Shudder would imply, is it just doing horror movies? As the the the, uh, the streaming service Shudder is focused on horror. Yes. Okay, because I was gonna say like you know, I would think that like Heaven's Gate and like even Apocalypse Now would be shoe ins for this kind of thing. Oh, for cursed film. Well, they talk about well, like just disastrous things. Sure, going sure. On. They talk about that in the omen episode i think it's mm. in the omen episode they talk about well there's one guy who says you know there's lots of films that are that have lots of issues and and bad things happen to the cast and crew but you don't hear about them because they're not horror movies they're not they're not called cursed movies you know right it's like, okay okay that makes, yeah so that they, makes they talk about that they talk about the idea of it being people thinking it's a curse versus like other people who are just like you know there's these are coincidences and he interviews a lot of mm. like paranormal you know kind of like weirdo you know right. psychics and uh, Satanists and stuff like that, and different people. <laughs> guy, this one guy who thinks he's a witch. You know? Okay, <laughs> it's pretty good though. It's a really good. It's okay. very very entertaining, okay. and he's got a real knack for uh, shooting docs. So definitely check out Cursed Films. I also started watching Gamora, the uh, television series 
on Netflix, which is excellent. Mm. I'm only one episode in, but man, is it an episode? I'll tell you. Oh, okay. Have you ever said the word excellent about anything produced by Netflix besides like the Irishman? I don't know that. Uh, I mean, is well, okay. I don't know. But is uh, <laughs> is Gamora produced by Netflix? I mean, it's distributed or, or by them. Maybe they just bought it. Yeah, yeah. I think they just yeah, bought yeah. it. It's Italian, so. Oh, okay. <coughs> yeah. It's, yeah I started watching it because I rewatched um, the second Sicario, and Stefano Salima directed it, and he directed all the episodes of Gamora. So. You you didn't want to rewatch the the fucking movie Gamora. I haven't even seen Gamora. <laughs> the movie. <laughs> I know. It's Jesus. not directed by Stefano Salima. He's the, he's what drew, drew me into it, not no, the... it's directed by fucking... Matteo Garone or Garone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who's made, you know, some pretty not good movies since then. I don't know what you're Did waiting you, you, for. You, and you, I was going to ask you about that. You watched Dogman and you didn't talk about it, right? I, I did and I don't want to. It's not any good? <laughs> I... It's... It's not good in a way that's interesting or bad in a way that it's that's interesting it's no, uh too bad it's just a very uninteresting movie mm. bomber uh with a kind of like a an energy suck performance at the very center of it it doesn't i don't know and every twist is something you're going to see coming it's it's just not very interesting but gamora is good gamora is good yeah okay mm. well i'll have to uh, it's on criterion channel i'm pretty sure right now so i'll uh i'll have to check it out i watched the first 20 minutes or of it or something like 10 years ago and i just never got back around to finishing it i don't know why mm. i think i rented it from the library or something but uh you know i, I love crime stuff i love mafia stuff so mm. but the show is great so if you got spare 10 hours on you you know check <laughs> yeah. it out. i think i'm gonna i'm gonna check out tales from the loop next the new that? uh amazon prime sci-fi show that's based on some dude's uh artwork okay it just mm. sounds uh it sounds both very chill and very cool cool interesting interesting it's got rebecca mm. hall in it ah nice nice and jonathan price hey jonathan price can't go wrong there yeah well he's probably made some he's made some trash i mean tomorrow never <laughs> dies so <laughs> he's certainly made trash uh all right well let's uh just jump right into movies that we've watched and I guess we should start with Kevin since it's been a J.R. Jonathan fest so far. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I've actually watched stuff. Go this ahead, time. man. Uh, nice. So, so I finished watching the Third Man, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very well made. I thought it you know, looks fantastic. The chase scene in the sewers is really good. I would agree with John that I don't really get the appeal of the Zither music mm. because I feel like. I don't know. It feels like the music, the Zither music, was not made for the film. It seems like they found Zither music and just kind of threw some stuff together to, you know, do whatever. But I feel like there are certain points where they would have benefited from either no score or a more, um, uh, you know, usual score. I feel like it doesn't play like it's a suspenseful film at points and mm. it doesn't play that suspense up because it's got this goofy like circus music in the background, you know, it's yeah. like I'm trying to feel the moment, but it's like, yeah. And I mean, like if they wanted just to do the music on zithers and like, you know, they compose like some more suspenseful kind of music on the zithers, I think it would have worked out fine. But yeah, mo- most of this stuff is just yes, yeah, 
undercut by this stuff that I mean, I don't know. Maybe they ran out of money and had to, you know, just go go I, go go to the local live, you know, studio library for music like the they did. Their library, Holy possibly. Well, that's what they happened with uh, Holy Grail. Like uh, they didn't have a budget for music, so Terry Jones just had to go and look up this all this very like bombastic music that was in public domain, and so that's that's what they used. Except for like some of the songs that Neil Innes did, that's probably happened countless times. Yeah, yeah. to small films throughout film history, but I don't know of any examples. I mean, I I don't I uh, I feel like it's also probably a uh, just a I don't know how to say this uh, a product of its time, maybe like that they didn't Mm. think of things that way back then. That they weren't maybe they weren't thinking of like this music is going to kill the tone of the film or it's going to affect right, the tone right. of the film that much it's just like we just need a poppy score behind this thing and it's going to sound great and you know what i mean like it's an old hollywood kind of thing or something i don't yeah. know yeah well it's it's funny too like it's made made in britain without without hollywood so i think like i think that's where you get like the like the look of it you know it's a very like artsy european kind of mm-hmm. look to the film but as far as like you know, certain aspects of it, like the music or, um, you know, maybe other things like it's like, um, oh yeah, I guess we got to have music. Um, yeah. I just feel like you don't see a lot of movies. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm obviously not the most well-versed even in this room with, uh, the, you know, old, old, uh, pre you know 1960s films but like but and, and their scores but like it feels like that that wasn't a you don't see you don't see a lot of films from back then that have like scores that are building dread and things like that i mean like right, you know yeah. i think of like the like Pinderecki being used in 2001 or something as being like an early example of right you know trying to create like an eerie atmosphere uh, but it actually works you know what i mean like right, as yeah. a, as opposed to you know if you watch an old horror movie and they have like a theremin or something and it's supposed to be spooky but now it yeah, just plays yeah. as goofy you know yeah yeah but anyway you know, for for old horror movies and you know what you just said i would that definitely feels dated now but it was likely effective at the time sure since, you know horror yeah. movies made money and people were scared and stuff right yeah right and stuff Right. And, yeah. And stuff. And things. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. They they worked then. So I don't know. I yeah, I yeah. I would love to ha- see an interview with the composer of the Zither music and see what he was thinking about. <laughs> yeah. And maybe yeah. with the director and why he wanted to include that. Yeah. Maybe also, they thought it was a more like fun fun lighthearted movie than it, it appears to be. I don't know. Well, I mean, I know like so the director and the uh scriptwriter I've seen, um, like, they made Our Man in Havana, which is more of a spoof on spy stuff because it's, like, like this is what, uh, like, the Taylor of Panama is oh. based on, like, where, you know, it's this guy is coming down, this spy is coming down to some random country and he needs intel to get back in his boss's good graces. And so like he finds this one guy and is like, Hey man, I'm British. You're British. Help me out with local Intel. And it's like, but I don't know anything. So he just starts making stuff up and hilarity ensues. Um, Oh, it's a comedy. 
Yeah. Um, but I mean, but that's the funny thing. Like, I don't know that the third man is supposed to be a comedy. Whereas, I mean, it definitely, it's like light. It's like it's light material, yeah, it's, but it, it's it's like written lightly. But I mean, it's mm. like it is about like you know intrigue and murder and you yeah, know, yeah. I, I, I mean, there's some dark stuff that's going on in it. Yeah. Well, I feel like too. Like, I think probably not until later you start to get more of like the grim realities of spy work. Where you start getting like the John Lacares and stuff like that, where you know there's murder and things are like mm-hmm. a li- things are a little more sinister, as opposed to like these sort of James Bond sort of vibes of of spy work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh... but yeah, four out of five for the third man. I forget. I don't even remember what I gave it. No, I think I gave it a three and a half. Mm. Didn't didn't dislike it uh, by any means. Right. Um, okay. So I uh, actually going back. So <laughs> I before last week's episode, Jr. was you know just as he does, just logging shit like crazy. You know yeah. stuff that he'll never mention on the show. You know. And he well, uh, I mean, do you, do you want me to talk about every fucking no? Short I, film no, I no, no 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 no. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I was saying that, but but anyways, he logged the third generation, which is a Fassbender film, and I was like, I know that movie. I've had, I've owned that for like 11 years on DVD, and I've never watched it. So yeah. I was like, well, I need to watch that. So I watched. Wow. Uh, okay. So I picked. So I was like, you know what? I have lots of Fassbender films on physical media that I've never looked at because I went through like a phase where I was like, I just need to own all the Fassbender movies, and eventually I'll watch them. This is this what? is just this is just me. I'm sorry. What was the catalyst for It was um that? the catalyst was watching I'm trying to remember the first Fastbender film I saw. I saw a few. I remember just really getting into Herzog and him and Vim Vendors, you know, all at the same time and kind mm. of you know, you just go crazy. I went on I went on uh, Amazon and bought all these DVD collections from Phantomas. And uh, <laughs> never watched any of that shit. But uh, now I've been really interested in it. So I, I grabbed out the two that first came to my mind, which was Third Generation. Why Does uh, Hair R Run Amok? Which is a really early uh, film of his from 70. And I watched them back to back. And uh, I, Why Does Hair R Run Amok is, is, a, is a good film. But it's there's not a lot to talk about. It's just kind of like an improvised um drama about this man whose life is just absolute shit and he kind of goes crazy and commits an act of violence towards the end of it but the third generation which is a film that jr watched and didn't talk about is a a terrific movie (laughs) and i really really enjoyed it and i i don't know if jr did or not i know he liked it i mean he gave it i think he gave it a three and a half but like yeah did you did you uh were there things lots of problems that you had with it or no i my issue was I was bored and I don't think that's the movie. I think it was the shitty quality YouTube copy oh. that I watched. And I just, you should have bought it on DVD. Like I, did. <laughs> yes, I should have bought it on DVD 15 years ago. Yes. Yes. And yes. Watched it just now. <laughs> but, uh, I don't, it, the, the quality was such, and maybe it's just like a product of watching things on YouTube and I'm trying to stop doing that. Because mm-hmm. uh, I just find that I'm never into it, no matter how good the movie is. Mm. And the third generation was good, and I can't tell you right now a real problem I had with it. But I was just kind of like, I'm along for this. I don't care. I thought it was really, yeah. I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed it, and uh, 
I wasn't like, you know, like, oh man, JR didn't like this. I don't understand why. But I was just like, I, was, I thought I was, like, I was like, it seems like JR should like this a little bit more than three and a half. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I just thought it was, uh, I, I really dig his whole like political, like every, all of his films are, even, even when they're just subtly so, they're all very political, very leftist. And I just really get into that. And, and, uh, I'm watching, I'm in the middle of uh, Eight Hours Don't Make a Day right now. I'm two episodes in. They're very, Shit. very long episodes. I know. Do you tra- own that as well? No, no, it's on It's on Criterion Channel. Ah, okay. <clears throat> no, I, yeah, and it, honestly, I probably would have finished it, but I don't have an Apple TV in my living room, which is where I'm spending most of my time when I'm in quarantine, so I can't, mm. I'm not watching it during the day so much. I'm watching it at night. And the episodes are like an hour and 40 minutes each. Gosh. And there's five of them. But the first two are quite good. Uh, and I'm really enjoying it so far. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. He's just, Fassbender is just terrific. And I feel like you don't, I don't know. Like, I think it's the breadth of his work is so large and he's so prolific that people don't know where to start and people don't talk about him because of that. You know, he doesn't get as much, mm. uh, and his movies aren't as strange or bewildering as Herzog or Vim Vendor. So it's like, they're, right. they're, they're strange in their in a way though yeah like, oh no i mean yeah definitely definitely not, not recommending this to someone who only likes mainstream movies <laughs> yeah well i mean but there but see that's what i'm saying he makes films that you could almost read as mainstream whereas you know i wouldn't i don't i can't think of many like herzog films that i would say hey mom you'd probably like this herzog film it's really good but i would i mean i think she, i think my mom were it not for it being in german she'd probably watch ali Fieritz the soul and enjoy mm. it yeah, I was going to say, like, if, that, if yeah. you need an easy access point for Fassbender, that would probably be it for me. I would assume so. But, I yeah. mean, I mean, just based on what I've seen. But, yeah. I, I, again, I haven't seen. He's got a large, large body of work, and I've yeah. seen very few. More than most, probably, but still very few. Yeah, especially when you get to, yeah, like, we're on a wire, eight eight hours, and I haven't seen it. But Berlin I, Alexander just, Platz, yeah, yeah, Alexander Platz, I see, is very long. Yeah, it's like thirteen hours. Yeah, so JRC. It's very, it's very good. (laughs) It's very good. I'm gonna start watching that one too. I was just gonna. I started with eight hours to make a day because it's shorter, (laughs) (laughs) just slightly, slightly shorter. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I've been really enjoying it, and I loved the third generation and uh, the blood. I I, I mean, this is just me, but the blood squibs in the third generation, amazing. (laughs) The the practical effects, terrific. So yeah, four out of five. JR. What about HR? Would you give that? Oh, I gave that one a three and a half. I mean, I liked it. It wasn't. It's definitely. I mean, it's it's you know, it's nineteen seventy, so it's way way early for him. Uh, and it's it reminds me. It's I'm surprised it's not in the early Fassbender set, which I've I own and have watched some of the films. I watched the American Soldier and uh, whatever the first one is that he made, and uh, they remind me of that. Is that one Effie Priest? No, not Effie Breast. Um, okay. I forget. It's like a crime. It's a crime movie. Uh, it stars him. He's in it with some other guy, and they're like criminals. They're like petty criminals. Oh, love is colder than yes. death. Yes, love one? is colder than the death. Okay. Yeah, and it's in black and white. And those movies are fine too, but they're like you could tell he doesn't really have his footing yet. Like he doesn't know necessarily exactly what he's trying to do, and they're experimental. Especially American Soldier has this ending that is so bizarre and experimental. It's just like it really throws you for a loop. And uh, by the time, like when you watching these two back to back, it's a nine year difference. And when you see the third generation, it's just like, wow, this guy's like really firing on all cylinders. Now he, he has a very clear vision of what he's trying to accomplish and he's mm-hmm. accomplishing it. So way, way better. 
But uh, you know, why does Harar right. run amok is certainly uh, the... solid. I'll buy this DVD and I'll watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. All right, I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna do two. Two heavy ones. Uh oh. Before I get into all the uh, the 2020 crap and a couple other good ones that I've watched, uh, I'm pairing these up because uh, both of them made me feel really sad. Like connected to the quarantine. They're not quarantine movies. They just they made me made me feel things that I might not have felt if we weren't doing quarantine. Mm. Uh, but I watched Aniara, which is a Swedish adaptation of an epic Swedish poem about uh, the the spaceship that is on its way to Mars after you know humanity has ravaged Earth and so uh, everyone that can is leaving setting up new colonies y- you know the deal that's it's it's our future it's gonna be fine um, but in this they get uh, bumped off course by something something goes wrong and uh they don't have the fuel to turn around so the spaceship ends up just drifting in space for years and the film even kind of goes like past our our main characters lifetimes like we see snippets of generations generations on this ship uh which is pretty cool but uh our kind of audience surrogate is a uh, woman who mans this virtual reality machine it's called the the mima and it's like this massive machine in a room that projects images of nature directly into the brains of the people in the room so you kind of just like lay down with a pillow and experience uh water and trees and stuff that they know they're never going to experience again uh but once they get off track everyone feels trapped they hope for rescue they find out rescue's not coming. Eventually, the the Mima machine breaks. It's this whole fucking mess, and uh, it like definitely is set up, sort of like a what's that movie uh, like with Tom Hiddleston's like High Rise. High Rise, mm, yeah. Okay, Ben Wheatley. So it's kind of you think it's going to be sort of that where everything is going to get like super violent and really weird, and it does not does not do that. It's it's a much more like low key and I'll call it like realistic depiction of the populace kind of losing hope and breaking down under prolonged confinement. Um, there's this like scientist, the woman who discovers that they can't pick, get back on track. She confines herself to her room, occasionally dipping a cup into a giant vat of wine. She keeps right next to her bed. It's a, uh, it's just like, it's really sad. Um, just the the way people are breaking down. They're not killing each other. They're not eating each other. They're just they've just lost all hope. They're and, moping uh, to death. Yeah. Mm. Some people take their own lives when the virtual reality thing dies. Some people create a weird sex cult in the room of the broken machine, hoping to resurrect it. Others devote time and resources to teaching the young how to live and survive on the ship thinking this is, will be their home for countless generations. It's a, uh, you, you, you said this already, but why, why are they off course? Oh, I can't even remember. Oh, okay. it's hmm. uh, some, some space thing <laughs> like knocks them off course. Okay. Uh, so it's not, it's nobody's fault necessarily. No. Ah. 
No. Because uh, I was I was thinking of because right when you said that, um, you know, and I was thinking that they they essentially you know like yeah they mope to death. You know, I was thinking of the, the movie The Edge, where uh, Anthony Hopkins' character says you people when they die when they die in the wilderness, you know what they die of, and he says they die of shame. What I should have done, what I could have done, and I was like, <laughs> that's a good. That's you know, I always love that line, mm-hmm. and it's, it sounds similar but yeah that sounds really depressing man <laughs> yeah yeah it, you know what it's a 3.75 out of 5 it's low-key to a fault made me uh feel really bad about our future uh where did so, you is this on netflix or something uh dvd rental from netflix i feel like i've seen this poster before it i mean it's like a 2018 movie released in the u.s in 2019 hmm. um, but other one I watched was on Movie. It's called Threads. Oh, this is on this is on Hulu. Aniara. Aniara is yeah, nice. Oh, good. So I will add it. <laughs> I want to see that. That sounds good. I, I like also downloaded and watched a uh, 1960 adaptation of Aniara. That is just people on like this weird set, that's supposed to be a spaceship, singing the poem. <laughs> don't recommend it. Please don't. Watch that. <laughs> sounds brutal, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, watched uh, Threads on Movie. It's a documentary style account of the effects of a nuclear bombing and fallout mm. in a, it's a, an industrial like working class English city. Uh, yeah, kept it kept it real light the past <laughs> few days. Um, was, I'm glad I'm glad you were talking about this because I remember seeing this like my American history teacher when I was in high school. He had us watch like some parts of the movie, not the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and like I had like a VHS copy of it from eBay for a while before I, I don't know, something happened to it. And I don't know, I, but yeah, very cheery, I very cheery. Recommend it. <laughs> uh, you know, if you thought Aniara sounded dark, mm. uh, check this this out because Aniara ain't got shit on this Holocaust. But yeah. uh, you know, like the documentary style is. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's not a documentary. It the documentary style is like a means for us to have no real through line of characters and plot. Instead, like mm. checking in with uh, various people and locations before and then after the bombing. You know, like we get info every once in a while from a narrator about percentages of population dead and cloud cover and mm. decreasing and rising temperatures, that kind of stuff. Um, but then the rest is just, uh, it's truly fucked. It's, I would call this a horror film because it's scary as hell. I don't know the science. I don't care if it's based on anything or real or not. It's just, it's just, I don't know. It's brutal. It's a film mm. with like no sense of hope. It doesn't show you how people will get through this disaster. It shows you how many people will die initially and then mm-hmm. how others will suffer and die eventually. It's uh it's fucked. And the so director went on to do the the bodyguard with Winnie Houston and Kevin Costner <laughs> and Volcano. Stupid nineties disaster movie. So oh my God. four out of five. Good for that guy. Mm. I, he found uh... happiness. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. I uh, yeah, he did do the bodyguard. That's really weird. He also mm. did Temple Grandin, apparently. That uh, Claire Danes show. About oh gosh, mentally challenged Bizarre horse lady. Looking career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
I think I felt the same way. Like it's been forever since I've seen it, but I remember thinking like one eight seven was an amazing piece of cinema. Oh Jesus! But like the same guy also did Kevin Robin Reynolds. Hood, Prince of Thieves, yeah. and Waterworld. Yeah. And so I don't know. I mean, those are you know, there's something to be said for those films. They're entertaining blockbusters. Yeah. yeah. One eight seven is definitely uh, uh, maybe a misstep, but <laughs> maybe I don't know. Uh, yeah, Baby Clifton Collins Jr. Yeah. yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it too, but I, yeah, it's awful. Really good in the latest Veronica Mars season. Just oh, want to get that out there. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I love I, Clifton Collins Jr. Yeah, I was gonna say like you can argue the merits of what of the movies that he's in, sure. but he is Boondock Saints too. Maybe not that good of a movie, but I'm sure he's terrific <laughs> in it. <laughs> I mean, how? I mean, how could he not be? Right. Look, I, I barely remember Boondock Saints 2, but I can tell you he's <laughs> not the problem. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. I'd never even seen it. And it uh, was, Boondock Saints was for a long time my favorite film of all time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And then you grew up. Yeah, and, and then I turned 15 or 16, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, for, for me, Boondock's, Boondock Saints was like, uh, I'm probably going to alienate a lot of our fan base here, but... For me, it was like Weezer's album Pinkerton. Okay. Like I knew, I knew from you know, kind of an insult to Pinkerton, but that's okay. <laughs> well, that, that's the that. Okay, go ahead. That, that's he the doesn't thing. like Pinkerton. Like, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like everyone kept telling me that, like, oh, blue and green albums suck. Pinkerton is really where it's at for Weezer. And then I kept listening to Pinkerton. Like, when am I gonna get it? Oh, I see. When am when am I gonna get? the genius that was Rivers Cuomo at this time and why am I not understanding the genius of this album? And it was the same thing with Boondock Saints. Like like the first time I watched it, it's like, okay, we're not actually going to see what happens. Willem Dafoe is going to wave his arms around and describe the scene and that's Great how scene. we're going to see Great it. Great scene. <laughs> but then when you yes. do that like four times in a row, it's like, okay. Well, Willem Dafoe rules. <laughs> we have a potential Not arguing problem. that. <laughs> We've got a problem. Uh-oh. Between all of us shit-talking um, the Boondock Saints, which a lot of adults definitely still like for some reason, and Kevin alienating all the hardcore Weezer people, and John celebrating the leftism of Fast <laughs> So we've gotten rid of all the righties. Who the fuck is left? No one else is going to listen. That's fine. If you're if you're a right winger, I don't I don't really don't want you listening to the, to our show. So, <laughs> I mean, sorry. Yeah, like, you know, I'd I'd like to be open, but I yeah, don't, I like I, to I be closed, super closed. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I can't imagine like just us in general, like what we usually talk about. I can't imagine there's anything for them here in the first place. I mean, there's nothing political so there's going nothing on in really the show anyway. Them. I mean, yeah. it's just like, uh, you know, I like, yeah, I like, yeah. I do like the, the ideas at Fassbender's films and you know, yeah. whatever, but that's a personal thing. It's not the show. It doesn't right, matter. Right, right. The, uh, I want, I want to say though about the albums specifically, not that we want to get into this, this, uh, Weezer, you know, this kind of Vietnam of a debate about Weezer, but, um, those two albums, the reason the people talk shit about those albums and, talk about pinkerton that's just like classic you know those albums are popular pinkerton's mm. not so i like pinkerton i'm a real fan i like their yeah, old yeah, stuff yeah. right or i like their stuff that was you know that's not charting and all that ch- and it's just mm. it's just it's just weak sauce it's lame i used yeah, to yeah. Uh, love the shit out of all three of those 
Sure. And don't listen to any of them anymore. So yeah, exactly. You grow out of these things. I mean, we never listen to Weezer anymore. You know, they're trash. They release an album of '80s covers, like they're a parody of themselves at this point. Yeah. No offense, Kevin. You still listen to Weezer? (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. Well, I was just thinking of how like how poor their version of Africa was. Yeah. It's like it was embarrassing. They didn't even get the fucking harmonies right. Yeah. Which like yeah. Like people can change it up. It's gross. I I'm mean, yeah. Like when you're when you're taking uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> okay, so I watched um, "Lonely Are the Brave," starring starring a litany of people. We got Kirk Douglas. We got Gina Rollins. We got Walter Matthau. We got George Kennedy, being as mean as George Kennedy is capable of being in just about any movie. So it's a movie about Kirk Douglas is this ranch hand cattle rustler in like the early 60s and like he he's living in you know the ancient west and like he's right he rides around on a horse everywhere and he finds out that a friend of his is about to go to jail for helping get people from mexico across the border so his plan is to get arrested get into jail and help break his friend out only he finds out that his friend is like, no, man, I'm going to like, yeah, it's the law and I broke it. I'm going to take the consequences. And Kirk Douglas, admirable. Yeah. And Douglas is like, no, nah, man, I, I can't, I can't be cooped up. I, I need to be out on, you know, out in the wilderness, et cetera, et cetera. So he breaks out. And so then a manhunt ensues with Walter Matthau as the kind of, not lazy, but like just can't care about everything that's going on in this podunk town sheriff. And he's like, he's they're trying to chase Kirk Douglas up this mountain. And Kirk Douglas like turns out he was a World War II vet. So he know he knows how to survive, knows how to get through the, get through the wilderness, shoots down a helicopter, but safely. So it won't crash. And <laughs> yeah, the movie itself, I think, is a little too long, and it just takes too long to get where it's going. The really interesting part is when Kirk Douglas is trying to escape from the cops and Walter Matthau, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is very First Blood. I should watch First Blood again. So, yeah, three out of five for Lonely Are the Brave, and so then, obviously, I had to watch First Blood again. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. And <laughs> yeah, my only, my only real, my only beef with uh first blood, like Richard Crenna, <laughs> Colonel Troutman, he is just chewing the scenery with his facial expressions. God didn't make Rambo. I did. I did. <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what you're gonna need? More body bags. Good supply of body bags. Good supply bags. of body bags. Classic, man. Uh, it was to, for me. It was just no. This is too, too much. much. Too much. Because he's trying so hard, but I was. I, I kept thinking after a while, like, man, this would have been a great role for Burt Lancaster. Like he would have. He wouldn't have like. Like he would have brought the gravity of the situation, but he wouldn't have been like so in your face with how how extreme. 
Rambo is. Like he would have been much more subtle, and sure. I think that I think that would have sold it more. I don't disagree. Krina is probably if there's a weak point in the film. He he might be it, but uh, mm. but I don't I don't know. He's he's not in it enough for it to bother I, yeah. me. I mean, I think that the, honestly, there's worse acting from David Caruso. Oh, for sure, he's awful. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the other like, um, there's uh, the guy with the mustache who like is you know who gets killed in the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. like that guy was really awful. <laughs> I didn't um, mind that guy. I thought he was appropriately evil. I, uh, Can't you see? I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love First Blood. It's like it's I mean, it's like super top tier for me. I really really enjoy it. I really liked it too. But like, but yeah, like for for me, like the biggest things were Richard Crenna's acting, and then the song at the end of the movie. Oh yeah, that's that's so that's terrible. just that's just Stallone though, man. All of his movies, and especially in the eighties, have those yeah, brutal yeah. ballads and shit that they do. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, usually he's singing them, you know. <laughs> Or is it his brother? Frank? Well, he sings the one. In, there's a movie called Paradise Alley that yeah, came yeah, out, yeah. and he sings it. He does? I yeah. I it was Frank. No, look it up. Oh. He sings it. He sings lead on it. It is brutal. Oh, but, um, yeah, I mean, Frank sings a lot of that shit, too. Mm. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, First Blood is four and a half. I mean, it's easily the only good Rambo film, which is... Oh, easy. Yeah. Especially when you consider, like... like it's another one of these things where, like, it starts off with something that's, like, really emotionally sincere. Where, like, this guy is dealing with severe PTSD and, you know, the, you know, Brian Dennehy just can't give him a break. And, you know. Brian Dennehy doesn't believe in PTSD, you know. He's, like, probably, one of these old yeah. school, like, yeah, you were yeah, yeah. you a nom. I was in World War II. That's a real war, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which, He's like Martin Sheen at the end of Dead Presidents. Have you seen Dead Presidents? No. Martin Sheen is the judge at the end of Dead Presidents, and he uh, he uh, condemns Lorenz Tate's character to, to prison, and uh, he tell he tells him when he's when he's telling him he's get, he gets life in prison, he's like, I was in I was in a war, a real war, World War Two, and now he's like you know diminishing yeah. what he did in Nam and stuff. So it's like, yeah, it feels like that. It feels like this like old old school old timer who just doesn't really understand. Yeah, but I love Brian Dennehy. Oh, he's Brian so Dennehy's, good in this. He's movie. Amazing, yeah, he's incredible. Yeah, because like even though he's like trying, like it's so obvious that he knows what he did was wrong, but he just cannot. He's got to push through though. Yeah, yeah he's got to push through. He cannot. He's got to save face. And like when the when the guys like blow up the mine shaft, he's like he just feels it all just yeah. going away. Those and, guys are amazing too. That whole sequence where oh, they, yeah. uh, it's just they're you such go. bumbling no. morons. It's a, it's incredible. Yeah, it's like I gotta be back at the store tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. You better get started. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> so good. Yeah. yeah. And Stallone is great too. He doesn't. You know. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's a kind of a uh, tired argument, but I mean, Stallone is such a good actor when he wants to be, and yeah, yeah, he just doesn't want to be very often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, anyway, well, okay. I, uh, Jr., you want to talk about Invisible Man? Sure. Which I watched yeah. on that uh, weird website that you sent us. And uh, what? What? <laughs> you mean where you paid twenty dollars for it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, I rented it for twenty dollars American. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, this is uh, directed by uh, Lee Wen- Wenow Wenel Wanel. I don't know. I just. I know I listened to his name, uh, the, the the Big Picture podcast. It's a good movie podcast. Yeah, uh, they interviewed this guy, and uh, I'm saying this all to say I still can't remember how to say his fucking name. Wow. I think it's Lee Wanell. Wanell. 
Well, uh, what do you uh, what do you think of this? Uh, I guess it's a remake. Not really, though. I mean, it's just kind of a yeah. re- more like a reboot of the of a franchise that has yeah. nothing to do with the original. <laughs> yeah, it's like a reimagining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it shit. I I liked it. I enjoyed it for a uh, a movie that kind of gives up its element of surprise in the premise really early. It stays pretty damn suspenseful. Yeah, um, and. It's the best movie of the year that I've seen so far, like by by a long shot. It might remain Ouch. so, considering how nothing's coming out. You know? Well, <laughs> I'm going to watch uh, three and a half. I know, right? Yeah, I'm going to watch Never, Rarely, Sometimes, oh, Always. Yeah, that looks okay this week. And mm. I, I, I'm hoping it's I don't know near the top of 2020. I uh, yeah, but, I I liked Invisible Man too. Um, I thought it was, uh, I mean, some of the, I could have done without some of the twists and stuff. I would have rather it kind of just been like a straightforward, you know, not to reveal anything, but there's, I don't know, there, there's some things that happened towards the end that I, I didn't have, I wasn't thrilled about, but, uh, yeah. I, I really Agreed. enjoyed the violence in it. Although I feel like it could have gone a lot further with it. Um, like it reminded me of like hollow man in that way. Like hollow man was extremely graphically violent, you know, and, but I, you know, Hollow Man also kind of builds the reasoning for that better, I think. But um, the, I had the only thing I really had a huge issue with was, uh, and I won't say what happens exactly, but peop, there are a few a, more than one scene where somebody gets their throat slashed in this movie, and the way that that happens bothers me quite a bit uh, because it just seems like really implausible, particularly the final one, Jr. Just because of who's who it's happening to and why it's happening, I'm like, I don't feel like this, like that would be able to happen that way. And it's so clean and everything. I'm just like, I don't buy this shit at all. It's very convenient. Totally agree. I I bought it much more in uh, the restaurant. Sure, sure. Uh, even even then, though, it's like how the, how the knife goes into her hand and everything. I was like, what? Like that's just so. It's just so like horror movie. You know what I mean? It's just so oh, like yeah. convenient. It's too fast. I mean, and. Shit. he's in so many uh like close quarters situations like small rooms people would hear him breathing people would hear him walking sure. I, I i think it it didn't say this guy had trained at some you know shaolin dojo to be <laughs> a silent martial artist so I was also thinking even before I watched it even and I knew they weren't going to acknowledge this or explain it away but like Okay, so he's wearing. I mean, I don't think it's a it's a mystery. He's wearing an invisible suit. Okay, so like, why wouldn't you be able to see the soles of his feet? Like, if you walk on the ground for five minutes, the soles of your feet are covered in dirt. Like, well, I don't. You know what I mean? I don't understand why. Where's the dirt at? You know, it's a suit. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, that is a spoiler. Oh, <laughs> I thought you understood from the trailer when she throws the paint on him. You can see he's wearing some sort of, some sort of suit, right? I mean, oh, it's got like a golf ball texture to it. Okay, yeah, I, I just figured um, oh it's yeah is it, what is it in the in the original it's like a potion or something yeah or? it's like uh it's a chem uh, chemicals that he's like ingested and it's turned him invisible and he doesn't he doesn't know how to become visible again oh no this then, one's totally he's on top yeah. of it he wants to do it he invented the suit okay but uh so it's more like that batman animated series episode where that guy wears the invisible suit do you right. remember that episode yeah, yeah where he's yeah. like trying to get his daughter back or whatever yeah yeah that episode rules and the the suit definitely uh fits into the 
I mean, this is about an abusive relationship and a woman mm. kind of getting over that abuse and, you know, plays. So it's like the Batman show. It, yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. <laughs> Except I don't know that. Does that guy fake his death in the Batman show? That'd be really. No, I think they, it, they'd have a lawsuit if they did. <laughs> no, I, I think he just goes to jail. OK, yeah. And something, you know. I just remember, like the the little girl has like an imaginary friend, and it turns yeah, out yeah, to yeah. be her dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it's just cool. It's a cool premise uh, for a sh- yeah. yeah that show yeah. rules. <laughs> I was uh, listening to Jason Blum on Bill Simmons's podcast this morning, and he said something that was very simple, and I probably like knew this in general, but I never thought it or said it myself. It was like, you know, all you really need. To, well, not not all you really need. One of the things you need to make a good horror movie is a great performance in the center, because it's it's like the crummy horror actors at the center of horror movies that totally fucking ruin them. And if you get mm. someone overqualified like Elizabeth Moss who can sell everything, then it's like you're good. And I that's what I remember about this movie. I remember Elizabeth Moss is good. I the last 20 minutes are weird and confusing. And I don't remember the specifics of like how it all goes down and shit, but I guess it doesn't really matter because Elizabeth Moth is good. Yeah. I mean, I agree. She's, she's a capable actress, you know, and, uh, but, uh, I mean, I, I wasn't like blown away by her performance, but it's certainly, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely, uh, one of the things that's making the movie work for sure. You know, but she could be shriekier. She sure. could be like she like is a little bit paranoia her, 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 could be way worse. Yeah, but that's that. I guess that's the only issue I really have. With the performance is that, and it's probably not even her fault. It's probably they were probably pushing her to that. Is that her paranoia gets pretty extreme, and I understand why it would like it makes sense because of how like what's going on and what happens to her and everything. But just like the, you know the shaking you know you know like bags under her eyes kind of thing i mean i don't know maybe it goes a little far in certain scenes but but i you know again if i put myself in her shoes i'm like yeah that's i'd probably just kill myself because (laughs) what are you what are you gonna do you know but anyways yeah i mean i I enjoyed i tried to uh i tried to on the same service that i used to watch this film where i rented it Yep, I tried to watch uh, Lee Winnell's first film, Upgrade, mm. but I uh, only made five minutes in, and uh, the it died. Okay, oh, even though I rented it, decided it didn't want <laughs> your money. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I didn't get to finish it, but uh, you know, it's all right so far, I guess. I like uh, what's his face, the actor in it, Logan Logan Marshall, Marshall Green. Green yeah. Mm. I don't love him, but I, I like the show he was in called Quarry, and I was really bummed out it got canceled. So mm. I like The Invisible Man more than Upgrade, but the action in Upgrade, like the way it's filmed, is fucking cool. I'm really, yeah, I'm definitely going to check it out uh, at some point and finish it. I do remember that the car in it, he's building like a GTO or some shit, you know, and then like his wife arrives in her future car. And I just remember the future car looks just like the cars in time cop. Like they're really goofy oh. looking, like triangular looking and stuff mm. look really bizarre. I also wanted to say about the invisible man before I forget the cop, the uh, black cop guy who she yeah. stays with. Do you know who that is? No, he's one of Samuel L. Jackson's nephews in die hard with a vengeance. 
one oh. of the kids who's skipping school and they steal the uh, boombox or whatever. Because <laughs> I looked it up on I looked him up on uh, IMDb and that's like one of his first credits and I was like, oh my god, this is that one of those one of those fucking kids in that movie. <laughs> it's so Jeez. strange to think like that's you know it's like twenty five years ago. So yeah, mm. he's. But anyways, yeah, solid solid enough movie. You know, I'd watch something else by this guy. Cool, cool. And yep. Blumhouse is definitely upping their game. You know, in the last couple of years, they're doing more substantially uh, quality material mm. compared to maybe what they were known for initially. Less yeah. haunted house fare. Ah. Anyway, well, mm. 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 Kevin, uh, I, Jr. I, I don't know who are we going to. Kevin. Kevin. Oh, okay. All right. So let me see. Okay, so I watched the Criterion set three films by Hiroshi Teshigahara, and and you rewatched, uh, yeah, rewatched uh, Face of Another, but yeah. I hadn't seen uh, Pitfall or Woman in the Dunes yet, and well, those are on Criterion Channel. Well, I got the DVD set, oh, okay. but I, I I should I should just go ahead and get Criterion Channel. Um, I just wasn't sure. I, I downloaded uh, Pitfall. And, uh, oh, okay. But I haven't watched it yet, but I downloaded I'm, it a while ago. Yeah, it's probably on there. Um, but yeah, uh, Pitfall, you've got some migrant miner workers who are going from place to place. One of them, one of them ends up being murdered, and like... And he his spirit sticks around, and it's like, why can't anybody see me, that kind of stuff. And turns out, like, it's this weird, like, um, weird sort of conspiracy. Like, he looks exactly like the head of this mining company. Like, like twins. Like, they're, you know, they're played by the same actor. A Dave situation? Kevin Klein and Dave? <laughs> oh, uh, I haven't seen that. He's the... He's a doppelganger of the president. The president dies, and they hire him to be. Oh, okay. <laughs> sort of like a HUD sucker proxy thing, but except with twins. Right. Oh, sorry. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So the guy is like trying to figure out like why he why he had to die while this other stuff with like mining unions is going on, and uh, there's more murders. Um, this one was good. Like it had like a uh, good like um atmosphere and like the acting is good so i gave it three and a half uh woman in the dunes i enjoyed much more um because like i had read the book like forever ago but this is my first time watching the movie and like one thing like there's a lot of like basically like g- glory shots of all the different ways that sand can move and I never, ever got tired of any of that. It always looked cool. It always looked really creepy, and like, like the sand was alive, and like, and that really serves. It really serves the story if you've kind of read the book a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But it's it still works for the movie. And I liked, I liked the acting in it. But yeah, so that one was four point two five. And then rewatching Face of Another, I've actually just recently read that book, and I enjoy I enjoyed the book, and the movie I still think is good, but for some reason it just it didn't connect with me like it did the first time that I watched it. 
So the first time it was four point two five, and now I now I just think it's a four. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong. Will do. In uh, Hiroshima Mon Amour, isn't there like a lot of like German places that they go to? Talk to Jr. I don't JR. remember anything about that movie. Like, aren't there like like German restaurants and stuff, or like German themed restaurants in Hiroshima in... Mon Amour? I do not remember that. Okay, May- I, might, I, I might just be thinking of Face of Another because I was like, "Oh, they're going to a lot of German themed places and they're drinking drinking German beer and all that kind of stuff." And so I was trying to think, like, was that in Hiroshima? Because I could have swore that at some point they go to like some German themed place, but again, I could be wrong. I have no change. recollection. Yeah, it could. It could there are like be, flashbacks where she's in a European country, right? I thought I thought she France. was France. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I could. I don't know. I guess I'd have to watch Hiroshima again. Good luck. Which would not hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it I would. Mean, I, it might hurt you. <laughs> I don't know. From what I remember, I think I enjoyed it more than you yeah, and you Jonathan did. did. Yeah, you probably uh, did. But yeah, um, yeah. The the one the one thing that I kind of took from watching all three of these movies is like I have a genuine feeling that Kubrick must have been watching these movies when he was getting ready for 2001 because there's a lot of like similar like similar shots when like in Woman in the Dunes he's walking through the desert and it's like very desolate and very very quiet but there's also like the weird like the really avant-garde music going on and so like i mean they could have just been like he and uh kubrick and teshigahara could have just been influenced by the same other people or maybe they just had similar ideas at similar times but it also could have been that kubrick was influenced by teshigahara so it certainly could be yeah either of those yeah, I'm just looking at like a random list somebody made of Kubrick's favorite films, and I'm not seeing any of. Well, and there is the uh, on here, but I'll look at it right now. There's like the Kubrick cinephile list from some book. Let me, mm. let me see if it's in that. Some of these, like I, I would, I, I don't know, I don't know where they're getting this from. Like that he likes these movies. Like I would be, I would. It's kind of a little weird. Mm. Like Roger and Me is on this list. Kubrick likes Roger and me. I don't know, maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He, Possible, I guess. I think I remember hearing, like, reading somewhere that he like he really liked Hard Eight. But really, that's yeah, that's not on this list either. That would be cool. Though. I bet a lot of uh, directors who were making movies in the late nineties, right before he died, were like, "Oh yeah, Kubrick loved my stuff." You can't ask <laughs> yeah. him about that now, but yeah, yeah. yeah. He told okay. me in private over a phone call he loved my film. And, yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. put that on the record, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, cool. Yeah, yeah, I I would definitely recommend watching all three of those movies. I definitely want to watch the other two. Yeah, um, for sure, Woman in the Dunes. So, Jr., do you? I mean, I don't know how much we want to discuss this. Do you want to talk about Tiger King? Do you have things to say about this movie? Or show, sorry. God damn. Show, television <laughs> program on Netflix. Logging TV? Oh. You, know, you can log it. You don't I, rate I mean, it. You don't rate it. You just log shit. it. Tiger King is uh, entertaining, and it's 
full of characters and the documentary true crime part of it is useless and who cares <laughs> yes i i quite agree i it's you know, a it's a meme show yeah yeah it just reminded me of like um it's like i'm thinking of like the other like my brother was asking me about it because he's like did you watch Tarking yet oh my god did you watch it yet and so i was like oh, i'll just watch it i watched it in like a day literally took me and i just watched it like back to back Mm. it's very digestible very easy and um i texted him back i said i watched it you know and uh here are my thoughts on it and then he was like and he was like uh what else is you know he's like what else like i said i said i I was like it's kind of like mid-tier to lower tier for me if i have this kind of thing and he's like well what's better and i was i was telling him you know the two best ones on netflix are memories of are not memories memories of murder making a murder and uh the staircase and, uh, you, you know, watch those the staircase is the best, you know? And I was like, and if you have access to the jinx from HBO, watch the jinx. And, uh, it's the, the, the thing I was thinking about after was that Tiger King isn't really like those at all because the, the mystery that is interesting about making a murder or about staircase or about the jinx, this mystery of, you know, did they, or didn't they do these crimes? It's not really at this. There's nothing about that in this show. Like there's like a there's one episode that's dedicated to the idea of did Carol Baskin kill her husband, and it's not explored that much. And it's never really you know it's kind of just like used as fodder for the central character, this um, fellow whose name I can't remember, the Tiger King himself, Joe, Joe Exotic. Exotic. Joe Exotic. Yeah. Fucking forget that name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's literally all over the fucking he, internet. And yeah, he's just so. Uh, it's just used as him, his excuse to, you know, kind of, uh, hate this person, hate this woman who, you know, may or may not have done anything wrong. I mean, definitely is a hypocrite. I'll give, I'll give him that. I mean, she's doing the same thing he's doing and calling. She is, she is painted as such a villain. Um, and she is likely, even if she did kill her husband, which I, it seems like there's not actually a lot of evidence of that. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like uh, she's the best person in the show. Yeah, there, she's the villain. There is like literally no one likable in the show at and, all. And the worst person in the show is someone that after like the third episode they basically just ignore. Like the guy who's still running a zoo and maybe <laughs> a sex cult. Oh uh, yeah, uh, Doc Antle. Yeah, that guy's the worst. He he seems like he's actually the worst human one of the one of the more like decent seeming human beings i i thought i was like was the uh they don't talk about this guy either anymore after the second episode either he's the um the former like narco guy like the drug trafficker that he says scarface is based on him and he's like murdered people and been to prison and stuff but now he's like just seems like the nicest guy in the world <laughs> he's <just> like <laughs> you know and i mean he's yeah he's got like he's got exotic animals and stuff but he's not i don't know he doesn't seem like he's being a bastard about it like these other people are and i don't know mm. and then obviously the the person who gets their arm eaten off mm. they seem uh harmless yeah, yeah like a good i would say joe exotics three employees that we spend some time with seem like normal people no normal that is, they worked with normal is a stretch maybe i mean they seem like drug oh. addicts and shit i mean mm. yeah but sure but the guy who who lost his legs he's Oh, yeah. Towards the end, he seems very reasonable, but then you're like, "Oh, but you worked for Joe Exotic, for right?" 
countless, not countless, maybe like 10 years. And they're all accessories to the, the weird shit that he was into and the, you yeah. know, the euthanizing of the tigers and so forth. So, I mean, yeah, it's nobody's doing good things in this talk at all Jeez. and i just felt kind of grimy after watching it but mm-hmm. uh you know that but that my point is that there's no the mystery there is no there's no mystery that's makes you want to like oh man i need to revisit that like i can't ever imagine sitting down and watching this again whereas mm-hmm. i've watched making a murderer twice mm-hmm. i'm about to start oh, wow. the staircase again i've watched the jinx twice like these are interesting shows because they're open-ended kind of you know Oh, so. yeah, because Robert Durst is still around well, doing, I mean, doing stuff. <laughs> the Jinx is, it's still, you know, even the way the Jinx ends, it's still open-ended because it's like there's so many, you know, avenues to, to you know, what you're actually hearing in that tape at the end of that at the end of that show. Don't want to spoil anything. But anyways. Mm. But yeah, um, I don't know. This this show is just kind of meh, yeah. I guess, you know. Yeah. But I guess real quick, I'll talk about um, Chinese Coffee, mm. which is a a film directed by Al Pacino from the year 2000 starring Al Pacino and the guy from law and order, whose name I am blanking Maloney or Jerry Orbach. Okay. Um, it stars, uh, Al Pacino and Jerry Orbach as, uh, Al Pacino is a, is a writer in Greenwich village in 1982. And Jerry Orbach is his good friend. Who's a photographer, but they're both like dirt poor. And, uh, they, he, he, Alpacino loses his job as a doorman and goes to visit Jerry Orbach because Jerry Orbach owes him money and he wants him to give him the money just cause you know, he's got, he's got no money. Mm. And, uh, he goes to his apartment and the whole movie is in the apartment and it's like got flashbacks to their meeting and various things that happen in their lives. And, uh, there's a lot of like discussion about art and, you know, whether or not Al Pacino is a good writer and what Jerry Orbach does for a living. Like he's a photographer, but he, he uses like he, he takes pictures in like nightclubs and stuff and like charges people for him and stuff like that. And then he also thinks that he could have been a good writer, but he feels like he was fucked out of it somehow. And he's like resentful of Al Pacino's like very, very mild success that he had in the past. And Mm. it's, uh, you know, it's just very like a, it's like an actor movie. You know, you can see why Pacino would be drawn to direct it because it's just like, there's nothing to it at all. It's just nothing but acting. And uh, Pacino's quite good in it. I I am so on the fence with Orbach. Like, I do not Mm. get it. I don't know if, like, I don't know if this guy is like a good actor or if he's like... A really bad one. I really can't gauge it. I don't understand what I'm looking at when I'm watching this guy act. Mm. Like I don't understand what he's what he's doing or what his choices are. He's just like spewing out these lines, and I'm like, I don't know that I believe this. But it's not like it's not embarrassing or anything. It's just like I, I can't. I just can't gauge him for some reason. Mm. He was in that Lumet film that I watched last time, uh, Prince of the City, and uh, it's the same thing. I was just like, I don't, I don't understand this guy. But whatever, yeah. Pacino's really good in it, mm. and uh, you know, I'd I'd recommend it just based on his performance alone. It's not a great film or anything. It's kind of cheap looking, and it's based on a play. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, kind of solid. His performance, anyway. Mm. Pacino. Did you say who directed this? Pacino. Pacino yeah. directed this. Yeah, it's all his only directing credit outside of that doc that he did, looking for Richard about Richard the Third, uh, that he directed, which was four years before this. 
So I think he's kind of uh, just kind of like a hobby director. I don't think really think he's uh, interested in doing anything like this mm. again. And I think this movie is like notorious. I don't even know if it was released officially ever, but um, I had to download it. I couldn't find it anywhere. Mm. But yeah. Uh, Maybe he'll uh, direct an episode of The Hunters next season. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> he probably... I feel so bad for him for being in that show. I'm sure he's making tons of money. Mm. That's probably what's uh, important to him. But, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to, like... I was... Wa- like, after I watched... Uh, rewatched uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, and it was so good, and he's so fucking good in it. Mm. And I was just like, I gotta see more Pacino stuff. And he did so much shit in the '90s that like nobody ever even talks about, like '80s and '90s, like all this, like like Injustice for All and City oh, yeah. Hall and all these movies. I'm just like, <laughs> I've never seen any of this stuff. I've never heard anybody talk about him. Like he's got to be good in him. He's always yeah. good, even in bad movies. Pacino is good, you know. I would highly recommend going on YouTube and seeing Robin Williams's parts in the AFI tributes to Al Pacino and I Robert actually, De Niro. I uh, watched part of that on Facebook the other day. Yeah, yeah, same same here. And I was like, man, this is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, you know, if you have the access to this movie, maybe check it out. It's mm. just an interesting oddity. Yeah. JR? All right, I'm going to go uh, through the 2020 movies I've watched. Uh starting with the best one outside of the invisible man, of course, mm. um, watched onward last night. It's uh, Pixar's latest movie. It's an eighties stoner road comedy that forgot to add in the stoner stuff. So it's <laughs> kind of just like a boring movie. <laughs> and the, uh, like the, this older brother character has, sort of this like stoner logic that um, doesn't make any sense since it's a Pixar movie and he can't smoke weed. Um, It's all, you know, it's all like family connections. These two brothers are on a quest to uh, interact with their dad who has left them a gift. He died years ago and it's an old spell because this is, a magic world like with fantasy uh, creatures as characters like the main characters are elves you know they interact with a manticore uh, but the magic of the world is gone because someone discovered electricity and made computers and stuff so it's also like an old man tale about how life is bad now because it's easy um, and uh, yeah <laughs> yeah, so they they get some magic. They go on a quest, and uh, it's about as predictable and dull as that could possibly be, even with like a fantasy world. And I, they really missed a chance at having some sly pot humor for the adults. Like you got Chris Pratt playing this older brother. He rides around in his janky old black van with a Pegasus painted on the side. <laughs> He's obsessed with the world's version of D and D. It's, he should be funnier, and he should smoke weed. Mm. Two point seven five for the, uh, you know, for the, the feels it gives you if at the end. I was you're... telling uh, Kevin before we recorded that um, I read an article that said that you know if this movie had been released theatrically, which was the original plan, that it would have flopped, and that oh, it did. Disney Plus kind of like saved it. Was I mean, it released? It, it, 
Yeah, it made forty million its opening weekend, which was considered oh, I didn't even a, it was released a oh. big disappointment. Mm. Yeah, bummer. And then its second weekend, it made like uh, something like fourteen thousand because all the theaters are closed. <laughs> right. That is amazing. Mm. Well, yeah. So I was just. Uh... Yeah, I don't. I haven't kept up with much Pixar stuff lately but uh damn i thought they were better (laughs) (laughs) i think they've kind of the the general consensus that consensus is that they've uh you know been on a downward path for a while now Mm. since their glory days of up and whatever that robot movie was wally wally Wally. i don't like wally i don't remember enjoying it that much i mean it's one of their you know they would say it's one of their classics i would assume so like finding nemo and things like this but right uh, right right. i don't think that their recent like good dinosaur i think was a kind of a flop for them and uh (laughs) that that wasn't recent that was was like five years ago i mean bullshit good dinosaur was definitely 2015 or after bullshit (laughs) we're racing to look it up yeah 2015, what'd I say, bitch? Oh, oh, <laughs> oh it came out the oh, same year thinking... as uh, as uh, Inside Out, right? So, oh, right. and that movie was, I think, a, more oh, of a wow. success, but I don't think it was a critical smash like some of their right, other stuff right, was. Right, right. And now Disney isn't there has... another animated Disney dinosaur movie? Uh, the Land Before Time, not, Maybe not. Disney. Yeah, that's uh, Don Bluth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not it. Never mind. I'm I'm dumb. Never mind. You know that. No argument here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just kidding, man. No big uh, deal. Dinosaur from 2000. Oh, dinosaur. Oh yeah. That oh, yeah yeah. Was like, uh, that was like a more like a documentary kind of thing, though, wasn't it? Like they were trying to like recreate no. actual dinosaur times. Maybe. <laughs> I thought so. I don't I know. know. It's about an orphan dinosaur raised by lemurs. Jesus Those two didn't the same thing, right? Sounds like a nightmare. That sounds horrific. Disney is Who fucking knows. Disney's, I don't, Disney's, apparently I don't watch animated dinosaur movies. Disney's so like <laughs> let's just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks and you know, mm. it's like if you really look at their breadth of work, like ninety percent of it's trash. What are you gonna do? You know? Yeah, yeah but that ten percent <laughs> makes 10%. them billions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. Kevin? Yeah, some of it's good. Yeah, some <laughs> of it is good. So I finally got around to watching uh, They Shall Not Grow Old, which Ooh, was nice. fucking great. Yes, like, it was. It's, like, it's insanely beautiful. The, the, the sound quality is very, very good. Because I, I cannot imagine how, like, how they were able to make this stuff sound and look as good as it does from however long ago, all this all this footage and uh, tape of sound must have you know from however long ago. Um, I think I think y'all kind of covered covered all the bases. Like the one thing I will say, like the one thing that kind of like really like took me aback was like like when they're like. It's uh, before they're about to go over the top. They haven't gone back into the trenches yet, and they're like doing some kind of like bombardment, and like they're they're firing off these cannons, and like you see like this like they're next to a building, and you see the building shake, and you see the tiles fall off the roof, 
And I was like, like what, what amount, like there's no way to measure the amount of hearing damage that everyone in that vicinity must have had. Sure. It's like just <laughs> shit. The horrors of war. Yeah. And yeah, all the, all the stuff with the, you know, the lice and, um, and it was, it was like, obviously it ends on like a really kind of down note because they, you know, it's about all these, all these English guys and they all go back to England and like no one, like everyone's kind of from their own words, they're like kind of denigrating what they've gone through and like, um, you know they're treating it like oh you had you had a holiday that didn't go as well as you had planned over in France and it's like no like my like you know there are stories of like groups of friends who like all enlist together and then like either one of them comes back or maybe none of them do and yes yeah, ouch yeah that yeah. was very moving yeah very very good easy 5 out of 5 solid yeah i uh so I watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, mm-hmm. which I've owned on Blu-ray for some time. and just like, you know, really glad to have uh, gotten a chance to watch it. And, uh, you know, their their real names in the film are Parker and Longbow. Mm. And uh, I realized, and I remembered immediately, I was like, oh, yeah, in the way of the gun, it starts off, uh, for the record, I'll be Mr. Parker, my associate will be Mr. Longbow. Because oh, you know, yeah. it's like their aliases. And... um so I was like, I got, I got to rewatch Way of the Gun. Mm. So I whip out my blue of Way of the Gun, and uh, I, I this is just one of my favorite movies. I just love this fucking movie <laughs> so much, and it's just I can't defend things, certain things about it. Okay, like I understand the inclination to want to or the impulse to, you know say that this is just another one of these post-Tarantino, late 90s, you know, uh, crime thrillers, disposable, young, hot actors, blah, 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 blah. I get it, okay? But I think that, the, and, and and honestly, the first maybe six or seven minutes of it are definitely that. Like, you can't argue your way around that. The opening scene at the club, while I think it's fun, that you know the whole Sarah Silverman screaming yeah, curse words yeah, and stuff yeah. over the crowd and the fight that's all fun and everything that's my, uh, that's my screenwriting teacher Henry Griffin oh really what really yeah the guy with the red hair oh no kidding oh wow yeah I was looking him up I was like who is this guy and I couldn't find much about him so yeah that's interesting. <laughs> he's you know we'll, we'll call him failed screenwriter and <laughs> oh. a really nice guy and uh. had a a small part throughout uh, the whole Treme series because oh. he's oh. friends with a lot of people. Yeah, and he lives in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, he's fine in it, but uh, you know that opening scene and then the the whole doctor's office scene where they're going to sell their jizz, all that stuff <laughs> is very like it's like bad Tarantino. It's like really mm. awful, cheesy, trying to be funny and witty but not really that witty at all the observations are kind of ugly and disgusting and they use the word faggot a lot in that opening mm. they say that word like nine times in that opening scene and it's just a little off-putting no, now but you know sorry the it's okay the um but after that i mean when the story gets going and it's you know the the i think the plot is rather ingenious and i don't find it convoluted whereas i think i feel like i've read that a lot that it's just overly complicated but i I don't really feel like it's that complicated and uh 
I think all the acting is like really verging on superb at times, especially Benicio and especially James Caan. I was going to say James Caan. Yeah, he's terrific in it. And Scott Wilson is really amazing in it, too, as the uh, patriarch guy who's got to pay the ransom. Um, I don't know. It's just I, I find it a very enjoyable watch and very good action, good suspense great acting i love the tactical shit in it i mean i'm just a sucker for anything like that like criminals and cops and shit doing tactical stuff like where they're i don't know if you guys remember this when they actually try to kidnap uh juliette lewis at the beginning who's also quite good in it um they do this thing where they're covering each other so like one of them holds his gun on the two bodyguards and he's like go and then the other guy runs back to a corner and like he points his gun and he's like go and the other one runs back and they take turns covering each other Mm. Like, that's just so, I don't know why I find that incredibly satisfying and interesting. And just, it feels real to me. It feels like these guys are, like, smart, and that's how you would do that, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, yes, and I, and I also want to say that I feel like not enough is said about this aspect of the film, which is that Joe Kramer's score, I mean, I'll say it's probably, like, I think it's, like, one of my top five scores of all time. I think the score to this film is truly a masterpiece. I mean, it's incredibly good. It's perfectly a neo-western <laughs> and it's triumphant and epic when it needs to be it reminds me a little bit of like the score to fargo in that mm. way but it's just i don't know it's really really amazing and i feel like not enough people talk about that so i love the way of the gun christopher mcquarrie is hit and miss after this and before this i don't like the usual suspects very much but um this movie <laughs> I, hey. I don't know dude Hey, uh, not about the, not about unusual suspects, but oh. <laughs> I mean, his other three directorial features, two of them are uh, okay. Actually, one of them's yeah. really good. And one of them's okay. One of them's fallout really is really good. good. Fallout is amazing. Good. Fallout is amazing. Yeah. Jack Reacher is a piece of shit. And what's that other, what's the other, uh, mission nope. impossible I did? Rogue nope, Nation? Nope, 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 nope. Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation. I don't remember <laughs> liking it that much, but I need to rewatch it. I, so when I watch when I rewatched Rogue Nation after Fallout, I liked it much more than I did the first time. Uh, and just you're wrong about Jack Reacher. Reacher will never agree on this. Uh, Who Jack likes Reacher Jack Reacher? Great. It's terrible. Really? Are you kidding me? me? I'm not kidding. Okay, look, I'm not going to say it's terrible. It's like it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. Like it's got things I like a lot. Like I like I love that opening sniper scene. That's fucking amazing. It reminds me of a sniper scene in The Way of the Gun. It's great. I love. Uh, I kind of like Herzog in it, although it's a little ridiculous. Like it gets a little bit it's too super much. Ridiculous. Yeah, but and but Tom Cruise. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I'm with the crowd on this one. He's miscast. Like he should not be this character. What? what? <laughs> have you like have you read these books or something? No, I'm just, just saying that like the, the narrative that Jack Reacher's tall. Jack no, Reacher no, 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 can no. only be tall. <laughs> it's just like the dumbest. shit That's I've not ever what heard. I'm talking about. Though. I'm not saying the physicality of him. Like I believe that he could kick ass. I mean, he does it in like every movie he's in. I'm saying that the way it, it's not maybe it's not even the character. It's the way that he portrays the character is really like it's so like you know like Taylor Kitschy. Like he's just like always scowling and. He's too fucking cool for school. It makes me want to puke. I hate, I hate that he's your go-to every time. Taylor I'm sorry. Kitch. Taylor Kitsch is just the guy I think of when I think of that yeah, scowly yeah. acting. You know, it's like him and Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. They do the same thing. Yeah. They just scowl yeah. constantly. It's all they fucking do. It's their whole acting Look, school. Uh, you know, it took 
me 10 years longer than everyone else. I'm off the Taylor Kitsch train. I understand that not everything is Fred Night Lights. It just, it still hurts, you know? Still hurts. Like, and I'm saying, like, uh, you know, eventually I will give Jack Reacher another chance and I'll rewatch it and I might, you know, and enjoy it more. But, like, and I do want to rewatch Rogue Nation and Fallout, like, back to back at some point. Cause I, like, cause, you know, I know that, um, Sean Harris is, like, sort of like the villain in both. And I didn't even remember Sean Harris was in Rogue Nation. <laughs> so, that was really interesting afterwards. But, um, you know, I think McQuarrie, I think that the way of the gun was so poorly received that he kind of got fucked over for a long time until he hooked up with Tom yeah. Cruise. And I've, I really would have, I, I would have preferred him to go down this kind of indie crime route and seen what else he could have done. But maybe this is all he had and that he wanted to do something bigger, you know? I don't know. Shit, it's uh, 12 years between yeah. features. It's fucked. I it's mean, rough. Yeah, it's like he's and he's one of these guys. I mean, it's just like a lot of the directors that I liked when I was younger, him and McTiernan and Roger Avery, like these guys just like they don't work, you know, like you don't get anything because nobody wants to hire them for whatever reason. I mean, for McTiernan and Avery, they went to prison, but, you know, but it's like, you know, it's (laughs) what does Avery do? Avery ran over. He got in a car accident and killed somebody who was Ooh, drunk, yeah. I think. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. He talks about it at length in the Brad Easton Ellis podcast. But. Wasn't, uh, wasn't McTiernan just like tax evasion? No, he, he was wire illegal wiretapping. Oh, yeah. oh, that's way worse. It was like his wife, but he was also wiretapping like an executive somewhere that had to do with the, the movie. Yeah. It was yeah. insane. Like He was doing a lot of crazy what? shit were you thinking and john like, but but see that's the thing is like mctiernan's been out of prison for so long now and he's still not doing anything like i don't understand what the fuck he's doing like somebody hire you, this man he's a genius at directing action I, like I, do we know that he's interested i i know that he's just retired right after he got out he directed a commercial for ghost recon oh right and i oh. remember like that was like I, I thought that was like oh this is it like he's getting back into it you know and he's starting mm-hmm. small and eventually he'll get a feature going but I, I haven't heard shit from him and it's just kind of depressing because I mean, yeah, so many action films from him are like in my top 10 action movies of all time. Like Die Hard, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Predator, The 13th Warrior. I mean, like he's just, the guy yeah. is just great. I mean, uh, yeah, Last Action Hero. Yeah, exactly. Last yeah. Action Hero is, is, is incredible also. So, yeah, yeah. You know, what are you going to do? But anyways, uh, Way of the Gun, the, the the whole tactical thing in combination with Benicio led me to mm. rewatch both Sicario films back to back. Ah. And uh, I still love both of them. Um, I Sicario, the second one actually went up for me to a full five out of five. Right, right. Whoa. And uh, yeah, I uh, sorry. <laughs> it's the thing is, is that the second film. There are things that I like about it more than the first film. Even like I like. I think they're not. They're hardly comparable. To be honest, when you watch them back to back, like Sicario is a thriller, and it's slow paced, and it's a there's a mystery in it. And it's focused on a character that has no idea what the fuck is going on. And therefore, you have no fucking clue what's going on. Mm, it's great. All that. I agree. And it's amazing. I love that. I love everything about I love Emily Blunt in it. And I love Brolin, obviously, rules in it. And uh, Benicio's great in it. But the second film is not that at all. Like, there is no mystery. It's not that mm. kind of a movie. It's it's a action picture. You know, it's about... Yeah. It's not about Emily Blunt. She's not even in there, right? It's about right. Benicio and Josh Brolin and their relationship. And it's uh, about this. I love the setup of the situation where they're like, you know, the government is going to uh, reclassify the 
cartels as terrorist organizations just so we can give more firepower to you to fight them like that's a great idea what an interesting idea you know yeah and plus uh, like you take like you know like legitimately the two most interesting characters yeah. in the first movie and give them their own movie sure and i mean i think that's that's really i mean i, th- I just feel like it's a really interesting way to to go about making a sequel out of this film, which doesn't really need a sequel at all, you know? But I think that's what works about it, is that they're two mm. s- completely standalone films. Like, you don't need to know anything about Sicario to watch Sicario Day of the Soldado. Like, absolutely nothing. Right. There's nothing about the first film that you need to know, which is, you know, that just makes it uh, that much more successful, in my opinion. Mm. And I really, I don't know, I thought, I think it looks, there's, things that Deacons is doing in the first film that are obviously like very impressive and everything. But like, if you take out those impressive shots, I don't think this movie looks any poorer than the first. I think it looks just yeah, as good. I, I'd agree. And, uh, I think that they're, some of the technical shit they're doing, they talked about it in the making of how they have to do that. The, the scene at the end with the Blackhawks where they land one of them in the road to block the trucks. They're talking about how like technically difficult that is and how the pilots had to train and shit to do that. And, how the you know running trucks at like toward the helicopter is like super dangerous and the they and the, Josh Brolin was saying you know that's like that's us jumping out of the chopper with the rotors going at full speed you know running out shooting our guns like that's all like in real time and it's you know like that's the kind of thing that you don't see a lot anymore and I I, so I really mm. appreciate all that kind of stuff and mm. the fact that there's no you know they could have easily done all that with CG and it would look like shit right but I appreciate that they you know took the time to actually do it for real. Mm-hmm. So I love both of the Sicario films and I mm-hmm. really wish they would make a third one, but it's not even on uh Taylor Sheridan's IMDb anymore. So I'm assuming that it's dead in the water. Oh, what are you going to do? Forget about it. Oh, yeah. Anyway, that's it for me. I'm done. <laughs> are you done? Yeah, I'm out, man. Oh, shit. Kevin, how many more do you have? Uh, three but it'll be it'll be quick fuck i didn't mean to talk about three in a row like that but i just had to (laughs) just took way more notes than normal uh all right so i'll i'll do the other two from 2020 uh real quick and so that'll be three for me as well all right um i watched the platform on netflix which is uh you know popular right now it's been in there like top top 10 uh lately it's uh it's about a man who wakes up in a room with a giant hole in the center uh and you know there's countless uh levels down that he can see and a bunch up that he can see it's explained over several minutes and in great detail that every day a huge table of food descends from the top floor stops for a set amount of time at each floor and uh, there are hundreds of floors. So the people at the top eat what they want. The people in the middle fight for scraps. And the people you know, closer to the bottom die from starvation or kill and eat each other. Um, it's, uh, you know, I had, to, I had to read about this because I didn't get it at first. It's a, oh wait, no, it's just a very obvious wealth distribution metaphor and, uh, they like they acknowledge it in the film like this is meant to be like an experiment uh from just a group called the administration and it uh that 
that like acknowledgement of the lack of subtlety does not make it more interesting at all. And uh, you know, of course, if the people at the top uh, ate only what they needed, there'd be enough for every floor. But that doesn't happen. Um, I think people like this because it's like a new version of Cube. If anyone remembers Cube, that horror movie. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, like the the single location, um, small cast. One guy tries to survive and then like find a solution to everything. It's, uh, you know, I'm not gonna say it's not. It's not like it's boring. Uh, it's gory, gross in general. But um, yeah, people are definitely like critics also are liking this much more than I am. There are some moments clearly meant to be like emotional doozies for you. And they just did not click for me. And, uh, it's really just like one simple social metaphor stretched, uh, throughout 95 minutes of story. And that's just like not an effective way to teach me a lesson Mm. because, you know, I already know the lesson. Um, it feels like you could a, just read the synopsis, like the thing that you said at the beginning yeah. with the table thing and just understand what the lesson is. Right. And then just not even make yeah. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, and then the worst <laughs> movie of 2020 that I watched this week, it's not, sorry, it's not the worst. Uh, that Anne Hathaway Netflix movie is going to stay the worst. Uh, I pray to God I don't watch anything worse than that. But uh, I watched Birds of Prey and the fantabulous <laughs> emancipation of one Harley Quinn. The most obnoxious um, title of the year. Yeah. Not, you know, not that I thought this would be good or even like hoped it would be good. I just kind of hoped it would be, you know, an entertaining superhero movie. Mm. Uh, you know, Margot Robbie's, uh, Robbie's. Harley Quinn character breaks up with the Joker and then goes on a 100 minute search for an interesting story and she ultimately fails. Ouch. Um, Robbie's fun. She was the best part of Suicide Squad, which was just just an ungodly abortion of a movie. It's the fucking worst. <laughs> is that um, is this better or worse than Suicide Squad? It's it's better. Oh god, it's better. Wow. It's better. That is um, shocking. I hate. I hated I hate Suicide, Suicide Squad so too, but I there are things that in it that I was like, oh, it's like okay. <laughs> like I remember thinking Will Smith was entertaining in it. I was like, he's all right, you know, <laughs> it's kind of fun. But I remember thinking that for Robbie, and Robbie's like she's still fun in this, and she and Mary Elizabeth Winstead as the Huntress are really good in the fight scenes. So mm. that's good. They both they both seem like they would make good superhero actors in better movies. Um, and then you've got Ewan McGregor as he's like this villain called the black mask. Uh, he likes to have people tortured and have their faces cut off. Uh, but he doesn't actually do the face cutting. That's a guy played by Chris Messina who I like Chris Messina. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's weird. But um, <laughs> his powers seem to be, or Ewan McGregor's powers are just kind of like having a lot of money and hating women. Uh, ah. We get no like good reason for why he hates women, and 
his hatred of women is not like interesting. There's no like distinguishing characteristics about it. It's just, does he say like, I hate women or is it just what he does to them that you know that? It's just the way he yells at them in the nightclub he owns really. That's Mm. it. Yeah. Um, And now that the Joker's out of the picture and out of town, he wants to own Gotham and that's, that's it. That's his motivation. Is Batman in the movie? No, but they, Robbie does mention, uh, she buys a pet hyena and names it Bruce after Ugh. that honky Wayne because ah. you have to have, the reference. This, you can't not have the reference. This is gross. This um, just sounds yeah. gross. It, but the real problem with the movie is because Harley Quinn is scatterbrained. Uh, the first half of the story is told like, it's narrated by her and it's got this like messy chronology. She's like, Oh wait, back up. I forgot to mention this. And, uh, that shit is so stupid. And Mm. once all pieces of the story are in place for the last like 32 minutes of the movie, cause it takes so long to set everything the fuck up. Um, it just felt like stalling. Like there wasn't (laughs) enough story to fill out the runtime. They just stalled forever. And, uh, I don't know once once like the birds of prey actually get together with Harley Quinn, uh, you just have like this fucking Zack Snyder style fight climax. Uh, you know it's gray and boring and lots of damage and uh, it's a fucking bummer. Even with low expectations, bummer. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, it looked really bad. I, I've yeah. seen. Uh, I read an interview with uh, the director Kathy Yan. I think is her name and. Uh, yeah. And she she kind of hinted that she thought the failure was due to the whatever it is I guess the you know the men who hate movies about nope. women like the kind of people who hate Mad Max the new Mad Max movie because uh, Charlie Theron was in it and I was like I was just, I was thinking about that and it's it reminded me of Brady Sinellis talking about you know Oscars so white and and the whole controversy there and he's like you know it's like well. He's like, uh, he said Stephen King wrote on his Twitter, you know, he's an Oscar voter for the, for the Writers Guild. And, uh, and he said, you know, I don't, he says, I don't, something to the effect of, I don't consider anything except the writing. So like, it doesn't matter to me who wrote it, what they look like or what their name is. Like, it's just, is it, is it good or not? Right. And apparently he got like called out as like a racist and stuff because he yeah. wouldn't consider the idea of, well, wouldn't you, you know, focus on minorities or something because they don't get enough exposure or something like that. And it's just like, and Ellis was, you know, obviously just livid about this. And he's, you know, mm. like it's just insane that we're, you know, we're targeting people now based on, based on the idea that they're not going to, that they're not looking at quality. They're looking at other factors uh, instead. I, so I, I agree with you and Alice, but I, I do think King was being a bit disingenuous because that does imply that he is reading all sure. the scripts sure. that he is getting and is reading every fucking thing before he votes. And you just know that's not true because all these people are busy and doing their own things. That's like that's why the same movies get nominated for seven Oscars because – they're like, oh, I know this one's good, so I'm going to consider it in these other categories. Right. Well, yeah, that's mm. that's true, and he talks, he touches on that as well on his podcast. Ellis does, but I'd also say that I think the writing, in particular, the writing Oscar, I, I would imagine most people are voting on those films based on having seen them, not having read them. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? And I know that it, they send, I know that they send samples of the writing because Roger Avery on his Instagram, he shows he has like during award season, he was constantly posting all the shit that he would receive, the movies to watch. 
screeners and some of them would have like script pages inside mm-hmm. of them and things that you could you know see under, understand how the script looked and how mm-hmm. it flowed things like that so my my issue no, i don't really have an issue i just <laughs> like it's like, a pocket we got to talk about something right yeah, <laughs> yeah. and said that it's just like sure you don't want to blame the quality of the movie that you're trying to promote right. but like this is it's just not written well and like mm. kathy yan showed some chops with those uh this fucking star wars show episode she directed they looked good they like she didn't make like a bad episode i already for the the mandalorian sorry oh, yeah. oh right, yeah. right, right she did a i think she did two episodes of the first season and like great um this is just like a it's a fucking mess of a of a story and it turned out to be a mess of a movie and uh they're just those the asshole men the women hating men i know they exist they are very vocal on social media but that's not a big enough group to tank your movie especially Mm -hmm. if the movie looks good enough that other normal people (laughs) want to see it i agree mad max didn't didn't fail based on the fact those that that vocal minority was you know talking shit about it it still made money yeah this movie just like yeah people were talking shit about it who weren't women haters who were just critics were saying it's not good you know what are you gonna do yeah yeah there there are there are surely plenty of idiots saying this movie sucks because of all the man-hating stuff in it even though there's that i I know what you and mcgregor hates women in the movie but it just it's no part of this feels feminist at all it's just Mm. that's not a part of it yeah i think people confuse having actresses at the center of your work with feminism if you're telling yeah. a story about women you're automatically trying to tell a feminist story and i don't know if that's the case at all yeah it's stupid yeah. i watched uh i watched barbed wire starring <laughs> pamela anderson recently it stars a woman in a badass fighting role that movie ain't feminist right in case <laughs> right. anyone out there wants to say it yeah yeah yeah, exactly. So yeah, you know, but uh I'm just glad that I, you know, am savvy enough to never give this movie a chance and never watch it, you know, unlike our <laughs> co-host JR here <laughs> who wasted 2 hours of his life watching this thing. <laughs> yeah. Just well, because of completion, right? You have to watch it. It came out in 2020. I've got to see it. I, <laughs> they're just these 2020 movies are just so accessible right now. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I I will be watching the way back. I will be watching, uh, that's on the, that's on uh, a certain site on the service. Yeah. Yeah. For rental. (laughs) Right. 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 But I want to see, uh, Emma, the Jane Austen adaptation. Mm. That looked, uh, like nice and silly. Yeah. Actually, I was going to say about Chris Messina, uh, not to not to focus on this guy, but I always liked him. I've liked him since uh, I saw him in Away We Go. He was like their friend who lives in Montreal or something, and he's got that great scene where he talks about uh, what keeps a family together is love, and he uses like pancakes and syrup as a metaphor. It's really I thought I always love that. It's just very like sweet and sentimental. But <laughs> I never, uh, I don't think the Mindy Project ever figured out how to use him. Oh yeah, see, I but... never saw that. I knew he was in that. I never mm. watched it though. Yeah, he's just sarcastic 
hot doctor. That's it. I'd say he could. He could. He seems like he'd be able to pull that off, though. Oh, he he can. They just yeah. never found anything interesting for him to do. Yeah. Mm. All right, Kevin, you got some more. Yeah. So I rewatched Alien. Oh wait, hold on. Uh oh, change of plans. You didn't rewatch Alien. <laughs> no, I did, but I just remembered I uh, I didn't talk. Uh, there's not a, there's not a whole lot to say, so I'll just go ahead and talk about it. Uh, so I I rewatched Alien. Still easy, five out of five. It's it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, also rewatched the Thing, mm-hmm. the the original Carpenter movie, and high 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 marks for the effects yeah. and for the, like the kind of you know claustrophobic feel of of being you know ex- exiled in a snowy wasteland. But the movie is kind of long, and it like doesn't for me it doesn't keep the tension as well as it might. So I agree. Yeah, although so, I've only seen it once, but yeah, but uh, but yeah, four four out of five. Um, that's so, what I gave it. Yeah, so so far I think that's the best Carpenter movie that I've seen. Oh, you gotta watch Prince of Darkness. Eventually, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know if it's as good as the thing, but it's, it's certainly know. entertaining. It's good. Very, very okay. good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and speaking of Mad Max, I just rewatched oh. the the first the first two Mad Max movies. Yeah, I saw the I saw your rating for Road Warrior right before I came over here, and I was yes. very disappointed in you. <laughs> well, well, here's here's the thing. I was like, I, yeah, I I looked and I was like, John gave us a four and a half, like. I, it would be a five if I rewatch it. I'm almost positive. Like I love Mad Max two. Okay, I love the first one too, but the second one is a masterpiece right. for me. I, I don't, that, that's I don't what think I, was... I could separate it from. Uh, like my dad rented it for me as a child. First R-rated movie I ever saw, and just like uh... watched the shit out of it. I don't think I could even like give properly like, uh... judge it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I I don't have like a long nostalgic history with. Any of the Mad, any of the Mad Max movies. So mm-hmm. like, I didn't see the first one until I was like twenty six, okay, something like that. Uh, but yeah, um, so second time seeing both of them, and yeah, I, I I will say that Road Warrior is the better movie, but for me, like, even though both of them are only like an hour and a half, yeah. they felt they felt. They felt longer. Uh, no, see, I would give you... Okay, no, I mean, not obviously, not going to argue with your opinion, but uh, it felt that way to you. The first <laughs> film, I totally agree. The pacing in the first film makes it feel very slow. Yeah, yeah. But the, I don't feel the way... It's, the second film is kinetic. I mean, I feel like it's, it's every bit as action-packed as Fury Road, in my opinion. I mean, and I mean, I think Fury Road is a little bit longer, but... Uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I I, I find it's a thrill ride, humongous, <laughs> like yeah, I mean, amazing, just yeah. amazing character. The guy with the mohawk who like is also randomly in weird science. I think at the end of the film, oh, as his character from Road Warrior. Oh, it's really I, weird. I, but, I've never uh, I've never actually seen weird. Yeah, science. I've only seen it on TV. I saw part of it, and he like appears out of nowhere at the end. Like he comes okay. to one, they're, they're like having a house party or something, and he shows up, and he's like a bad guy. And okay, but anyways. But yeah, I just uh, the the violence in it is mm-hmm. amazing. All the shotgun stuff, the the chase scene at the end rules. I love how Mel Gibson barely says anything in the second film. He talks a lot more in the mm-hmm. first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the the first one The first one is just so so weird. Like, there's a scene where he like goes to like 
tell the captain that he's quitting and like the guys like hanging out in leather pants and no shirt. Yeah. <laughs> it was, there yeah. was a, there was a conspiracy theory or not a conspiracy, but I guess like a fan theory that said that, uh, that guy is humongous in the second, like he became the Lord humongous, <laughs> I which I, I think is an interesting idea. But, yeah. 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 F- fun idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. And like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, for me, for me, it just for me it just didn't connect because okay. like, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, cool, cool action like like especially in the first one, the the chase, and like like the way the way that blue van just kind of explodes yeah. in slow motion, just evaporates. Really, yeah, yeah, really, really enjoyed that, and uh, yeah, the stunts yeah. are insane in both of the films. Yeah, really, yeah, really insane. Yeah, um. Yeah, I don't know. Like, um, I'm thinking about rewatching Beyond Thunderdome. Don't, don't do it. Okay. Don't do it to yourself. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, if you want to, but I it's. Mean, I hated it. I fucking I re- hated I re- it. I remember not liking it. I remember thinking, like, what the. But this, if you're trying this is to Ewoks, but with kids, oh yeah, it's brutal. If you're trying to go the George, George Miller deep dive, go <laughs> George Miller deep. Hey, you watch Happy Feet. You know. Yeah. and... Fury Road is on the at the end of that list, so that's you know that's a solid enough watch. Yeah, for me that was a five out of five. I, mean, I, I, I love I, for Fury I like Road. Fury Road. I, I think it's as good as the first one, probably better than the first one, maybe. Uh, for me, first one, huh? It's better than the first one. Don't be a jerk. I'm not. I'm not. I just didn't. I just have a lot of issues with it, but but I do like it. Well, that that that's why I was like going back to look. Like John gave this such a high rating, but then I was like. 2015 I don't know well 2015 or 2014 I think was when you logged it yeah and I was like well maybe he might feel differently now no, I feel like I've watched it since then I don't know like 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 when the when the boomerang like cuts off the guy's fingers oh, it's it just amazing. looks so fake no I thought it looks really good are you kidding <laughs> did oh, you watch, <laughs> did you watch it on blu-ray yeah because <laughs> I rewatched all I watched all three of these in a row like in a single day oh. uh that was when I log those that time uh, okay okay but I feel like I've watched Road Warrior since then but I, I, I couldn't maybe I didn't I don't know, maybe like you may you may have logged it but like the review may have oh yeah been I for, didn't yeah okay, okay. I, I don't write reviews very often so okay yeah I've logged um, it twice. It says okay. Um, it says last time I did it was yeah. I gave it a five out of five last time, which was four years ago. So that was oh. twenty sixteen. Okay, okay. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you know, it's, it is what it is, and a lot of that yeah, is yeah. a lot of it is built on nostalgia. I mean, I this wasn't a childhood movie of mine. This is like mm. Army of Darkness. You know, like, oh, where right, I, right, I was, right. like if I rewatch Army of Darkness right now, I'm almost guaranteed to give it over a four. Whereas it might not necessarily warrant that high of a score, but yeah, yeah. I just have so much love for it, and I find parts of it very, very funny and things like that. You know, so it's like Road Warrior for me is like something I find any film that I liked when I was younger, mm-hmm. like when I was a kid, and my dad was turning me on to movies. You know, and saying like, "You gotta watch Goodfellas, you gotta watch Full Metal Jacket," and you know, shit that you know a parent should not be telling his you know eleven <laughs> yeah. and twelve year old to watch, but he would, and he'd go rent them for me and stuff. Uh, it's like stuff like that, and I watch it now, and it still holds up. It, it impresses me, you know. I'm just like, well, this is amazing that I like this when I was a kid, but it's still, it's I appreciate it on a whole other level now that I understand right, right. movies better, you know. And yeah. uh, it's Word War is one of those for me. I just, I, I love it still, and I appreciate things that I didn't even think about when I was a kid, you know. Right, right. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Are you are you out? Yeah, that's it. Let's get into our main what? deep dive. What? what? 
Whoa. Are we whoa. done? Are we not done? Look. All right. You, you got quick, another one? Quick Jesus hits. fucking quick Christ. <laughs> quick hits. All right. Just want to say I we rewatched two hours uh, into this Southland podcast. Tales, and <laughs> okay. uh, it's uh, it's still not good. Just public service announcement. It it It's gotten some sort of critical reappraisal that I definitely do not agree with. And uh, I, I also I don't know watched Tokyo Tribe, which sure. was a wonderfully bizarre Japanese crime movie from a really a director of I'll call them silly movies Sion Sono uh this is a gang turf war movie that also is a uh battle rap musical and uh oh, everyone should go watch it on Amazon Prime not interested uh <laughs> <laughs> I will say that uh, Southland Tales. Not to get into this because this is this is a discussion right here. Yeah, but yeah. Southland Tales, I vastly prefer to Donnie Darko, and I never uh, saw the box. But look, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not going to get into that. I don't. <laughs> I haven't seen Donnie Darko since high school. I don't want to rewatch Donnie Darko. And I did think Southland Tales was better upon rewatch than the first time I watched it, but still not good Hmm. yeah i mean i uh, there are things that i remember liking a lot about southland tales but i agree it's a fucking mess of them yeah yeah um all right well now that jr is finished you are finished right that was it i can talk about bad boys for life just stop just stop (laughs) (laughs) no i'm just kidding um okay so we're gonna get into our uh deep dive which is kevin's pick butch cassidy and the sundance kid 1969 directed by george roy hill Mm -hmm. who i didn't realize it but i'd only seen one film by george roy hill before really you want to take a guess not the sting slaughterhouse five slaughterhouse five okay i watched it after i read the book Ah, and uh you know the movie's okay book is much better obviously uh (laughs) if you can compare them um but yeah uh I, I actually have been meaning to watch Slapshot for a while, but I haven't got around to it. But oh, yeah. uh, Kevin, this is your pick. Yes. Explain yourself. Well, you know, here at Fil- here at Film Yak, we're big on Western. So I was like, yeah, you know, we haven't done Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And that's kind of a glaring omission when it comes to Westerns. I haven't done a Western in like four episodes, so we got to get back on it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, what what more what more reason do we need? <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, and it had been a long time since I had seen Butch Cassidy. So I was like, yeah, I need to need to watch this again because, you know, big fan of William Goldman. And sure, of course, yeah, yeah Paul Newman. And I. I have not seen it at all, so I was and I having right. just rewatched Marathon Man. Yeah, yeah, I was excited. Yeah, because I think Conrad Hall did the yes. D, he was the DP on yeah. this too, and also on uh, one of Paul Newman's final films, Road to Perdition. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that might have been. It was one of his last either... live action movies. He oh, did okay. the Cars movies after that. Why do you need a DP on an anime? Oh, not not Conrad. I'm sorry, Paul Newman. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was like. Not Conrad what? Hall. I don't know. I don't know what his last movie was. I think it might have been Road to Perdition. It might have been. Yeah. It's either Road to Perdition or American Beauty because I know he American Beauty before I think he that. Won, okay, yeah. Because I think he won Oscars for both of them. Yeah, it did. It, yeah, yeah, Perdition was nominated for like six Oscars and only won that one. I think. Right. Yeah. But uh, anyway, but yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, what did uh, what did you think rewatching this thing? I hate to say it, it wasn't. It didn't enamor me as much as I thought it would. Um, uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> I, I still, I still enjoyed it. Uh, I just think there, for me, I would have preferred a little bit more of the 
camaraderie between the two, like the, you know, busting each other's chops and like being like the, the kind of dynamic duo that you think of when you think of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid. But, you know, like so much of the movie is a, is a chase. And I really liked the fact that like, you never see the faces of the guys that are chasing them. And I thought it was really cool when they're like going up the mountain and like, uh, you know, (laughs) Paul was like, can't they just slow down or speed up? Why does why does it always have to be the same? And <laughs> it made me think the fact that you didn't see the the people who are following them, mm. especially at the end of the film when you still don't like you still don't see you see the guy the straw hat which you're yeah, assuming yeah. is that guy but they don't really make that 100 percent clear right. And I was thinking to myself, it's interesting because like they think that those are, that they know who's after them, mm. but they don't really know. Like right. they don't really ever get a hundred percent confirmation. Like they uh, they hear from what's her face, Catherine Ross, that uh yeah, and even she's not sure. Exactly. But, like she read something in the paper and like which I, I I thought that was probably the most interesting thing about the movies for me. I thought it was yeah, cool yeah. that the idea that they don't they don't really know who's chasing them, but they think they do. Yeah, like I thought they could have done more with it. Maybe yeah, like who's the best lawman? Right. No, he never leaves Wyoming. Yeah, it's like I don't you know no, he never leaves Oklahoma. Yeah, I don't that's... know where the hell we are, but it sure ain't Oklahoma. <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, good. and like, and like, while they're like finally like running up the mountain before they like jump into the stream, like uh, the fact that like it's you know, you still don't see their faces, but you see them getting closer, 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 like right then to like build up the tension. I thought was really well done. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and <laughs> probably my probably my favorite part of the movie is the the second time that they're robbing the train. I'm an employee of blah, blah, blah. Hey, Woodcock, how you doing, man? Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was, it, was, it works works well as comedic yes. like levity. Yeah, yeah. And easily, like, probably one of my favorite fight scenes ever in the history of movies. Like, no, 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 no. We got to go over the rules first. Rules? In a knife fight? There ain't no rules. Kicks him in the crotch. All right, ain't no rules. One, two, three, go. One, two, three, go. Bam. Yeah. And I love that line, like, Look, I don't want to be a sore loser, but if it's over and I'm dead, kill him. That's brilliant. That's good stuff too. I really yeah. I I liked um Robert Redford's kind of quietly threatening performance. Oh, I mean, yeah. not even this performance, but the character just the kid that the character is, you know, you get the you get the idea early on that he's he's like you don't want to fuck with him, like he could yeah. easily take you out and I really I enjoyed that about it. it was it was an unusual thing to see Robert Redford doing because I yeah, just think yeah. of him as such like a likable you know and I mean he's likable in the film but he's like okay. the yeah, more violent yeah. of the two obviously right I was definitely thinking it is surprising that this is the movie that made him that like launched his superstardom because yeah he would go on to play all those likable characters I do not think that the Sundance Kid is likable he's kind of just a quiet asshole in the first half and <laughs> yeah he's angry it, you know he definitely it, treats like, his lady like shit yeah poor well Catherine yeah Ross. and that's all that's a whole like oh reversal they know each other thing blah, whatever mm. uh but he's definitely an asshole in that scene regardless of how well they know each even other even after that though i mean it feels yeah. it feels like he's getting all the benefits of their relationship and paul newman is picking up his slack by get, taking oh, her on a date and you yeah, know treating yeah. her nice newman and, is definitely the boyfriend yeah <laughs> like, yeah, yeah yeah for but, sure and uh, uh robert redford just gives gives her that 
you know, that good, that good sex at the end of the day, you know, yeah. that Paul yeah. Newman doesn't get to enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> he's always, he's apparently always late. He's always late to that sex. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it's weird. It is, it's just a weird role to see. I haven't seen a ton of Robert Redford stuff, especially from this time, mm-hmm. but like, I, I, yeah, it's just so bizarre to see him in a role like this, like where he's right. kind of this threatening presence. Yeah, but I do like it. I like, I really like the dynamic between them, but I, I, mm. it really like, uh, peaks for me when they're accosted by the bandits and they're being robbed and yeah, Paul yeah. Newman admits that he's never shot anybody. And yeah, you see Robert Redford's like, kind of like, you know, frustrated about that, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, find time for you to tell me. Yeah. But I love, I love that he's, you know, then it's all on him. He's like, I, you know, well, I need you to, you know, he tell, he gives him the advice, you know, shoot in the middle of him and all that <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff like that. I, I really, I don't know. I enjoyed all that. Mm. I hated the score for the film. Burt Bacharach and score. whatever. You love the score? No, I said, fuck the oh, thank score. You. Thank you, God. Okay, yeah. Fuck yeah. the music. It is brutal. Fuck the raindrops keep falling oh, on my head. So. Yeah. Heinous, it's, man. It's I was just like, bad. it's so dated. I was just like, I cannot believe that. And I was like listening to it, and I was just like, how did they not know at the time that this sounded like shit? Look, but I guess it was just like, that's, I mean, I know it was like a big hit yeah, and yeah. everything. When when you guys were talking about the third man score earlier, I was thinking, <laughs> oh, that's exactly how I felt watching yeah. uh, Butch Cassidy. It is horrendous. Right. But I will say that the opening of the film, which mm. is probably my favorite thing in the whole movie is the silent film thing yeah with yeah. The, i thought that part of the score that sparse piano that they were doing i thought that was really great mm. and i was hoping that that was going to continue on but then i saw in the credits at the beginning raindrops keep falling on my head <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i was like oh god they're gonna have that song in this fucking movie i was like yeah, that yeah. uh i mean that won the oscar for best original song oh jesus it's like circus music too, like when they're on the bicycle. <laughs> well, yeah, because like it's definitely like trying to emulate like the oldest, oldest film reels, yeah, and film and news reels, which I think it did a really good job of like getting like like it looks like they found like old footage, a lot like um like in Young Frankenstein, like. Even though it was made in seventy four, seventy five, like it looks like it could have been shot in the thirties or forties sure. on a Hollywood soundstage. They're probably using old equipment, it, maybe or something like that. Yeah, yeah, very well could be. The the whole opening is I, I thought was interesting, and I didn't remember any of that uh, sequence from whenever I watched this in college at some point. But uh, it, it goes straight from that kind of the silent movie montage clip thing to uh, like that really aggressive sepia tone opening mm. in the, uh, the saloon. And I was like, is the whole movie like this? Yeah, I was I thinking not, that too. I was yeah, like, this is this crazy if they're going to film the whole movie. Yeah, in sepia. Yeah. But it looked, I mean, it, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they didn't. Cause <laughs> yeah, it yeah. Bugged me. But I did think it was a cool opening with like the camera that just stays on Robert Redford's face, even though his face gets like obscured by the back of uh, the guy Robert Redford is arguing with, and that that scene was was very cool. I liked it. The yeah. Uh, yeah, when it went sepia like that, I was like, this can't be the whole film, only because I just saw that Conrad Hall is the DP, and I'm like, there's no right. way that this they're gonna get Conrad Hall and then shoot the whole fucking thing in sepia tone. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> makes no sense at all. Right. But uh, yeah, I, can I uh, go ahead? I'm sorry, no, go ahead. 
<laughs> I was going to ask. Uh, I want to give you guys some some canon stats for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, okay. So nominated for Best Picture, won the BAFTA Award for Best Film. It's in the it's like number ten on the BFI hundred westerns. It is adjusted for inflation, the 40th highest grossing movie of all time. Jesus. It's in multiple AFI lists. It's, it is number 581 on that sight and sound greatest of all time movies that polls uh, critics and directors. And it is number 402 on that they shoot pictures don't they thousand greatest movies list that compiles uh critics lists from all over the world it is uh this is a beloved motherfucker where is it on malton's mm. great movies list just kidding. On what <laughs> leonard malton i was just oh, kidding yeah, with yeah. you it it might be i'm not i, I guarantee it is <laughs> i guarantee it is I mean, it, it has been in the I don't know if you guys have ever owned a copy of the uh, Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before oh, You Die. Schneider or whatever? Yeah. yeah. I've only it, seen it, it on the library in... shelf. Okay. I I used to have a copy of that, and it's apparently been in every um, like every Edition? updated publication of that. Ah. I could see. I mean, it seems – I mean, I don't I – don't, the popularity of the film does not baffle me at all. Mm. It feels uh, – it, like it has moments that are very like crowd pleasery, and uh, and I think that's largely Goldman's script that does that. Like the fight scene you're talking about, like the cleverness of that, mm. I like that a lot. And I feel like that's you know like yeah, that's fun to see. Oh look, he's like taking advantage of the situation. You get yeah. the you already you know that like just from the very beginning, you can assume Paul Newman is not a fighter or a person yeah, yeah, who for sure. shoots people, you know, like he's like, he seems like a really nice guy, yeah. <laughs> you know, he just happens to be a bandit. Cause that's like his line of work. And they treat it kind of like that. Like this is just our job. You know, that's what we do. Yeah. And well, that was uh, like Goldman said that in an interview, he was talking about how like, uh, I think in Colorado, like Butch Cassidy had been arrested and like the governor was like, look, you're a really nice guy. I like you a lot, but you know, so here's what I'll do. If you can promise never to commit another crime in your life, I will let you go. Mm-hmm. And Butch was like, I can't make you that promise. I can tell you I will never commit another crime in the state of Colorado. And he's like, all right, fair good, enough. Good enough. And Butch Cassidy never committed another crime in Colorado. So, and but I mean, yeah, and like that was kind of the Butch Cassidy thing. Like he was so affable and sure. every, everybody just loved him and they... You know, like 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 Woodcock, like you know, like, you know, if it was anybody else, Butch, I'd let you in. But like, I mean, I can't. And my hands right. are tied. I really like well, the, that. Kind of plays out in the uh, the Marshals' attempt to get a posse going. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Like for for Butch, is like, well, I figure they did that outside of our town, so it's our responsibility. And like, he's not into it. The people aren't into it. And so the guy selling bicycles gets on the stage and takes over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff too. I don't mind that. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, but I mean, just speaking again to the popularity of it, like mm. it feels like it's a very like non-controversial. It's, uh, it's not like a, I mean, even though it has a downer ending, you know, I yeah, mean, yeah. well, I mean, I don't even know. I wouldn't even know if I call sort it a, a downer ending. It's downer in the idea of what, like the lo- logistics of what actually happens or mm. what is suggested to happen. 
but it's not played as a downer. It's like they're like in great spirits all the way to the end. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's just like a it's like a happy Western. Like there's nothing like it's not mm. like the realities of there's there. There's those moments. Uh, the, the moment in particular when Paul Newman has to kill the bandit mm. where there's like this. They attempt this like gravity of the situation. Like a suddenly, you know, I've taken a man's life and now I know what it means to do that. And I yeah, feel yeah. like that. Is, it just kind of like doesn't even belong in the movie. Like it's just kind of a weird like side track where you didn't need to you didn't need to go that you know make it a downer like that you know. And I feel like a movie like Unforgiven tackles that uh, that idea a lot better in a more mm. natural way because it's you know the the movie Unforgiven is not comical at all. I mean it has a few moments of levity I guess, but it's not a comedy you know or it's not a it's not a buddy cop movie essentially. Right, right, and um the whole thing about, you know, the, the young kid joining their posse and unforgiven and then having killed that guy. And he's, I guess they had it coming. He says, we all have it coming and all that kind of stuff, you know, just much better about the whole gravity of having murdered some or taking someone's life. Right. Right. So I didn't like the movie, uh, this movie. Oh, and it has to do with that. I mean, not that I hated it or anything. Just and, that one scene? Well, no, no, no. Just the, the first half is like really fun, and there's a lot of great lines that yeah. I really enjoyed. Uh, but once we get into the back half, after the um, after the photo montage with the shitty music, totally stops the narrative in its tracks, um, and just that nothing after that I thought was uh, nearly as entertaining or. It's funny. Uh, so basically didn't like Bolivia at all. Uh, but uh, it's just there are no stakes in this movie because the way that it's written, like Newman and Redford just stay like quippy and sarcastic and in good spirits the whole time. So there it just never feels like there's a conflict. Yeah, and, uh, I agree. It also just kind of at the end of the day felt like uh, you said like light, happy Western. I'm almost like this is almost like a spoof of a Western. It's just it's just like going through the Western story emotions so that Newman and Redford can quip. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just I, I feel like the the um, I, I'll, I'll say I didn't dislike it. I mean, I'm going to give it a, a passing rating, I guess. But uh, I mean, I didn't love it, but it's like the the i agree like this their whole it feels it almost feels like they're and it doesn't even make sense because i guess like redford like you're saying redford is this his like launch pad to stardom right but it almost feels like they're too like they are so big that they don't want to have to uh i don't know like do the kind of emotional hard work of, of acting in a story that's not that's more that's like less lighthearted you know what i mean like what they're doing like the the idea that that yeah like there's that one moment where Paul Newman has to shoot someone and it affects him, but we only know that because there's a close up of his eyes for like a minute, and then it cuts to the next scene and it's like it's almost like nothing ever happened, you know, and it's like now we're to the, they've now moved we're, on exactly now we're to the end of the film, and I would have like me just personally on a personal level like I love westerns again like Unforgiven and also recently when I watched uh, that movie Bad Company, there's these ideas of uh people you know doing 
things in the West and thinking I want to be a cowboy, right? Or even mm-hmm. a, a Culpeper Cattle Company. I want to be a cowboy. I want to be an outlaw. And then when they actually are faced with the realities of it, well, I have to kill people or people are trying to kill me or people just blew my friend's head off or whatever, mm. you know, <clears throat> I have to bury my friend or whatever it is. It's like that. It, it, it changes who they are as a character, you know, it turns them into a more serious character or a more introspective character. And uh, yeah, it's like these characters don't change. Like they're, they're the same kind of, uh, you know, Robert Redford is stoic, but funny, uh, Paul Newman is just completely affable and likable and, you know, making jokes even when they're shot up at the end <laughs> in the church, you know, reloading their guns. They're still joking with each other, you know, and it's like they're mm. about to they They know they're about to die. It's just it's just a strange. And I mean, again, it's just uh, this. I feel like that's the reason it's so well regarded uh, or well liked, I should say is because people, you know, they want, like, that's just, you know, they don't want a downer, depressing, you know, sad movie. And I understand that. And there's plenty of movies that are like that. Well, so it doesn't and, need to be that necessarily. And there are plenty of Westerns that, you know, most, almost all of them older than this one where, you know, our hero is, you know, sarcastic and he gives one-liners and there's still sure. emotional heft. Like, John Wayne movies are like that and I'm not saying John Wayne is a great <laughs> actor I'm not but a great it, person right he, you love him he as a fits, person no, yeah. just kidding <laughs> <laughs> no I mean, he really fit in the good westerns he is in he is often good in that western hmm. or like fits in yeah. that western yeah. and like his one liners might be cheesy sometimes but in general they work Mm. Um, this just felt like they put a very like late sixties, you know, culture changing hippie movement kind of sense of humor into the Western genre and didn't really do much else. And I I'm saying this as someone who generally loves Goldman. But I, I I don't like this script. What else? Uh, I mean, I could just look it up. But like, I mean, you're you're a big Goldman fan, like of his writing and like his outside of films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, what like what else besides? I know he did like Princess Bride, right? And yeah. Marathon Man and yeah, this. Princess yeah. Bride, Marathon Man. Uh, I've read his first novel, Temple of Gold, which is really good. Uh, he's got a novel called No Way to Treat a Lady about uh, the Boston Strangler. Oh, um, are there other films that are based on his work? Or? Yeah, I haven't seen No Way to Treat a Lady, but I oh, okay, like, just from the poster, it looks it looks like it might not be that. Is good. that pre Tony Curtis Boston Strangler movie or? Is... Uh, I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, he did. Uh... Magic is based on his own uh, novel. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, and, you talked uh, about that, didn't you? Magic, yeah, yeah. Anthony yeah. Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The because I've read the book and it's really good. I think the I like the movie a lot, but I remember thinking like, so in the in the book, like it's very like you kind of you kind of know that like uh, Anthony Hopkins' character is kind of like split, and so like even though there's tension, like you don't really get that from the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, even though like, yeah, I mean the movie's, the movie's fine. Um, but yeah. And like, he also like, he won the Oscar for best screenplay for all the president's men, which oh, I've seen once. I have and not I, seen I, that. I want to, I need to see it again. That's a, uh, Pacula, right? Alan J. 
Yeah. 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 And he wrote the screenplay that. for Misery. Um, did he really? Oh, I didn't yeah, know that yeah. either. Okay. And, and, he actually, and he also did a, a stage play of it when it went to Broadway. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, the guy is yeah. uh, obviously very talented. I mean, I, yeah. I don't I don't really feel like the issue... I mean, maybe the issue is with this, this story as a whole, but I, I find like there are moments in, this, in the film that I really, really enjoy the dialogue between the two. I love mm-hmm. the idea of the... Like when the chase starts happening and they're getting chased through the desert like that, I was like, "This if this is the rest of the movie, I am in. Like this is an interesting idea. Just make the whole fucking movie a chase, you know? But... I mean, and yeah. it, you know, and it doesn't, but that's okay. But, you know, it doesn't commit to that. It's a, you know, it's like it's from 1969. They're going to do something crazy like that with these two huge yeah. actors. But, but, yeah, uh, and, and this was like his first like major, um, major writing deal. Like, like at the time, like the screenplay sold for like $400,000. And that was like the most any screenplay ever had been sold for. So, um, I think there was a lot like kind of writing on it in, uh, in Hollywood. But, I mean, there. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I like about the the script. A lot of a lot of stuff I thought was like, eh, because like I really think Goldman's strength is in thrillers. Mm-hmm. Now he like he said like I think Butch Cassidy, Princess Bride, and like maybe like one other thing like like he's he's said many many times that he's not a big fan of his own writing. Because he sees all he sees all the flaws in it, and how he's trying to like, you know, how he tries to like fill fill gaps, but like, but it, um, and he has some uh, nonfiction writing that is oh yeah based on that that I've heard is great yeah uh, like Adventures in the Screen Trade, um and which lie did I tell more Adventures in the Screen Trade? Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. read those eventually. Yeah, because like. He's he's very very candid about like um like the fact that no one like you know his his famous phrase nobody knows anything it's like no one knows whether a movie is going to work or not so it's it's all it's all it's just a, a crapshoot so I uh, I have notes like that I was making throughout the film mm-hmm. and I just want to say that this is a really late this is one of my last notes I really hate the score. I've already talked about the score in my notes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I really hate the oh, score. You, you... Yeah, I've already mentioned the the score like three <laughs> times in my notes. Wow, <laughs> I really hate the score. So upbeat makes me want to puke. <laughs> I get that. I could not stand the score. Yeah, and I feel like okay, and just I mean not to not to pile on. There actually are a couple of things I want to talk about that are positives, but mm. uh, I feel like the montage stuff too much like too, there's like multiple montages and i'm just yeah. like i don't i don't need this like you could just i mean i don't there's other ways you could have gotten this information across or not even shown it you know what i mean i would have i would have rather had them just you know arrive in bolivia and i mean it's enough to see that they're on a train that says bolivia you know I mean, <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah. like and even though it's funny i still think they could have done without the scene where like this could be the gardens garden spot of the whole freaking country yeah yeah and, uh, I mean, I, I like the idea that the, that Butch that Butch essentially runs their gang, yeah, which is yeah. you know just the two of them, and he is and and that Robert Redford is so out of he doesn't have any idea what to do, so he just follows him and he th- assumes that he knows what he's doing, but he actually knows nothing. Like yeah, he's just yeah. A, 
like, he's a con man essentially you know yeah like butch cassidy is very much like sort of a robin hood where like yeah i wrote gentlemen thieves in my notes because yeah, yeah. they don't he doesn't seem like he wants to hurt anyone he just wants to and yeah, i feel yeah. like uh this is not a positive or negative but uh when they're talking about the guy who uh is chasing them and they say his name i really really thought they said lord voldemort and like the whole time, every time they say it, I felt like I was like, they're saying Voldemort. I guess they're saying Baltimore. Yeah. Cause like they, yeah, they, yeah I think like so. Bal- well, like they're saying it like, you know, like we would say like Baltimore. Right. But they're saying like Lord Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Baltimore. I, was like, I was like, it sounds like Voldemort. And I was yeah. like, J.K. Like, Rowling must have people seen this from film yeah, like, sir, and made like, that. Like, sir something. Baltimore? Lord Baltimore. Lord yeah. Baltimore. Um, I also had a, uh, an image issue. I don't know. How did you guys watch this movie? I I had a DVD. Okay. Um, Rented on Prime. Okay. I I uh, own the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. So on the top and bottom of my screen, especially in any kind of a dark scene, there's like a light haze. It almost looks like light leak coming through. Whoa. Yeah, and I was like, I don't know if it's like an image issue with the film itself or with the transfer on the Blu-ray. And I don't know if you noticed it on the DVD no. at all or. No. That's really weird. It must be the Blu-ray. I have to look it up on Blu-ray.com. They have like forums that talk about shit like that. But okay. But uh, yeah, it was it was a little annoying, and I was assuming it's not, you know, Conrad Hall's fault. Mm. Um, too too comedic for my taste at some points. <laughs> a little too many jokey, uh, especially Paul Newman's characters, mm. super jokey and happy all the time. Newman uh, lost me right at the end because. You know, he they sit down at that restaurant and he gets his steak and he complains about how it's not cooked enough. And I was like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> what if an it's asshole. Above medium rare. I'm not eating. Um, <laughs> the idea that Sundance can't swim. Like, so they jump all over the cliff into the water. And I, I guess I'm assuming there's stunt people in the water. But, like, the guy yep. who is Sundance is, like, clearly just, like, trying his hardest to push Bush's head underwater. Like, it's, it's like it's not even, like, you know, I guess it's supposed to be, like, oh, yeah, he doesn't know how to swim, so he's just trying to grab him for help. But he's not trying yeah. to grab him for help. He's, like, he's like literally trying to kill him, you know? And I was, like, this guy's just <laughs> performing poorly, you know? <laughs> so yeah. that was just uh, a little a nitpick. Um, okay, one more thing that I really like. The, oh, two more things I really like. I like when he shoots the rattlesnake. I fucking love that. Yeah, yeah. How he's just like on edge and he just annihilates his rattlesnake. They, they <laughs> yeah. clearly actually shot this rattlesnake. <laughs> right. Which, uh, I oh, don't know. Lizard? First, it was a rattlesnake. When they shot that rattlesnake? Are you kidding? That was a rattlesnake, yes? I, th- I thought it was a lizard. Yeah, Are you I'm serious? Sure yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a lizard. Oh, my yeah. God. Cause it's, it's John's like, oh, I don't like scaling it the rock. <laughs> no, 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 I don't, I don't dis, I don't dislike I'm just, it. I'm I, I, I'm, I almost want to bet money. <laughs> I'll try and see if I can find it on YouTube. Mm. Uh, you uh, actually see uh, snakes going vertical on rocks like that. I mean, <laughs> who knows? Let's see. Uh, off the cliff scene. That's where we're, they jump off the wait, cliff. We're just going to wait for John to find Feel this. Feel free to talk amongst yourselves. Mm. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I agree. I agree with a, a lot of the, the points y'all are making. Like, like personally, I didn't, I didn't find it to be a problem that they're like, like still jokey and stuff. Like right before they're about to die. Cause I mean, like at, you know, like it's been their thing up until this point, but now it's like, they kind of need that more than ever because they know 
like they know they're about to die, but they're just trying to go go into it like not totally totally distraught. Um, and you know, like they're talking like, yeah. look, there's another place we can go, Australia, Australia, Australia. They speak English there. They do. Look, I I I don't want to get there and find out that it sucks. Okay. No, no, it's fine. I promise. We won't. We won't be like outsiders there. They they speak English. It'll be cool. All right. All right. And you know, like, yeah. if I knew you were, if I'd known you were just gonna saunter lazily, I would have, uh, I would have tried a little harder. Ah, you could never shoot for shit. Don't give me that. You know, all the, all that stuff. Like, I can't find anything. I can, there's okay. the scene does not exist on YouTube. Okay, uh, <laughs> it's a rattlesnake. <laughs> I'm gonna go home and get that Blu-ray and put it in and film that scene with my phone and fucking text you guys. Okay, watch you back. Uh, the last thing that I really, really liked uh, about the film, and actually the last note I have, is uh, I love the idea that they have to learn Spanish to rob the bank. Oh, yeah. And they can't. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I would have preferred it if it was less comical even, because it just strikes me as something that's legitimate. Like, it would mm. that is, you would have to learn Spanish right. at that time and everything. Nobody's speaking English down there. Like, you would have to learn Spanish. You'd have to learn those phrases. I love how they, they're, like, taking, you know, they're training themselves to learn the phrases and they have the piece yeah, of paper. Yeah. I mean, it, it lends itself to comedy and it is, it is, you know, amusing and everything. But yeah, I, I just like, I love the idea of it as just a practical yeah, you know, yeah. issue that they're going to face. Yeah. And then like the first time, like when they go back to that first bank, like, you know, they've got their hands up. They're against the wall. Then you read it. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. I, don't, I like that a lot. Mm. That's my last note, so... Okay. Are there further things to say? JR's just... The arms cry. He hates this fucking movie. <laughs> oh, I, I smell it. I don't hate I it. Smell it too. <laughs> I smell it, too. I smell it, too. usually very, you know... Talkative. Well, I, <laughs> no, he's, he's I, usually very forgiving about oh, right. a lot of things. But Especially like, classic when westerns. When I put on this movie last night, I did not think my... Rating of a four that I had on Letterboxd was going to be changing. I, you know, like I, I convinced my wife to watch this movie with me. I was like, oh, you're going to, and she, she didn't hate it, but she was, she's more like, she did not get the second half. She was just like, it's not as funny as the first half. It's not as fun as, you know, mm. basically what I said. She agreed with me. She, I don't think she's watched a movie before 1997 in uh, ever um, wow wow well besides besides like the sound of music and some old musicals or mr um, holland's opus or something but yeah. <laughs> but yeah i i just as i was going through it i was just like i don't know what has changed with me because obviously i've changed in the mm. past 10 years or so uh but like this is not working for my tastes and sensibilities like it used to so yeah so what's your rating Sorry. Uh, my, my rating is a 2.75 that will be rounded up to a three on letterbox. Oh, nice. Okay. That's not so bad. Mm. Kevin? Barely passing. Kevin gives it a four. I also give it a three, but mine is a full three. Uh, you know, so I like to maybe a smidge more than JR did. Uh, makes yeah. me want to go back and watch some more George Roy Hill because I've seen Slaughterhouse Five and Slapshot and um, The Sting. Mm. Uh, 
But I've never seen The World According to Garp. Or... That movie blows asshole. <laughs> Don't watch that. But but Robin Williams. Oh, it's awful. He's oh, terrible no. in it. It's the worst, dude. Oh, that movie's so trash. Man. I'm sorry to say. I, oh, I forgot that I had seen that and that he did that. Oh. Yeah. I haven't seen The uh, Sting since high school. I haven't ah. seen The Sting ever, so <laughs> it's another uh, one of those uh, omissions for me. Mm. It's on my list of I, shame. I'm worried that I'm going to come off as a as an asshole. Like <laughs> I read you all those like stats about how beloved this is, and uh, like this isn't uh, one of my obscure 40s and 50s westerns, so I hate it. Yeah, that's what oh, it seems yeah. like for sure. <laughs> it's not a Samuel Fuller western, so. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Next week, or next time we record, which is two weeks from now, will be my pick. And I'll tell you, I, 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 like always, I'm in between like six movies here. and I, right. I just don't know which fucking movie. I've got such a long list, and I keep adding stuff to it. I added one yesterday that I looked up, and JR hadn't seen it, and I was like, ugh, I'm going to have to watch that and talk about it at some point. Um. <laughs> But you know what? I think uh, I think I really the one that I want to talk about the most is uh, oh fuck I don't know I'm sorry give me a second <laughs> I thought I was ready to commit to it <laughs> we'll have to cut all this out give me a second okay oh you know what let me let me look up and see if. Uh, Kevin has seen this one and if he hasn't that'll be the pick okay <laughs> okay <laughs> this is really exciting for people uh, <clears throat> listening I think you have seen this Kevin so oh, okay. it's not gonna work well, oh come on maybe I, I haven't rated it I misspelled it I just what kind of garbage is he gonna get this? <laughs> I just never know okay this is perfect this is the movie alright so we do comedy so infrequently on this podcast mm. but i i feel like it's justified because you know there's we so hate f- laughing well there's so few <laughs> there's so few comedic films that are really worthy of any kind of discussion like i for instance i rewatched step brothers this week and it's right, like, there's right. nothing to say about this movie like does it make you laugh yes that's the end of it like there's nothing i can say about it that's interesting you know, I mean, I could like you could go into it and, like dissect the absurdist humor, but that's just pretentious and lame. Yeah. So, uh, but this movie I feel like is uh, is one that has some meat on its bone. Uh, I'd like to for us to watch Throw Mama from the Train oh, from 1987, okay. uh, directed by Danny DeVito, and starring Danny DeVito and Billy Crystal. I have seen this many, many times. I'm sure you but have. I am very it's, much looking yeah. forward to watching this again. <laughs> it seemed like it's a movie that you would have watched, but JR yeah, hasn't yeah. logged it, so I assume he hasn't seen it. And it's only 86 <laughs> minutes or 88 minutes long, so um, I'm, I haven't seen it in so long, and I'm really uh, excited to yeah. rewatch it. I've had the Blu ray for a while, and I haven't seen it really since I was a teenager. Oh. So It's on Hulu. Oh, Sweet. excellent. Oh, excellent. nice. So, yeah. So, uh, that'll be the film for next time. Throw Mama from the Train. Great. <laughs> from 1987. JR shaking his head. He's just so disappointed. I, I, I have no reason to not be excited. I just... I just I don't know. Dude, the, Danny, the idea De, of Danny DeVito, uh, Billy Crystal, Kate Mulgrew. What's the uh, Anne Ramsey? Anne Ramsey. And Kim Grease from yeah. Uh, Brazil. Yeah, Kim Grease. Yeah. Yeah. Kate Mulgrew from Star Trek? Yeah. Hey, I didn't, I Have don't I know ever who that seen is. her in a movie? Is she the wife? Know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's, uh, yeah, Margaret. Who's Mama? Mama's Anne, Anne Ramsey. Ramsey from Goonies. Yeah. The mother in the Goonies. 
Oh, that reminds She's me. She's great. I didn't. I didn't bring this up. We were talking about Butch Cassidy. Like, I wonder if uh, Corey Feldman's screaming, "Oh shit!" when he goes over the waterfall in uh, the oh, Goonies. Oh, that's got I be. wonder. Yeah, oh, it's, for sure. Yeah, because I mean, Richard Donner is probably like, "Hey man, you ever seen uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance movie, Kid?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, interesting on the um, on that show. I was talking about cursed films. They for the Omen episode, he interviews. Uh, the director interviews Donner. You know, mm. he's like in his nineties now. Really, it's really interesting. Like, wow. it's, it's it's cool to see. You know that he's still. You know, he doesn't look like he's nineties at all. He, he's mm. completely lucid and really really cool. But um, nice. yeah. So we'll be watching uh, Throw Mama from the Train, the modern comedy classic, and uh, <laughs> and I can't wait. I'm just really psyched. Yes. So until then, uh, go to our website at uh, Filmiac Podcast. No, Filmiac. .podient.co <laughs> write to us at filmyacpodcast at gmail.com uh, go to our Facebook page like our Facebook page like and rate us on iTunes as they say uh, all the other stuff I don't know wherever yeah, you're Stitcher. listening to yeah wherever you're listening to us uh, you know try to uh, throw us a bone here man because we're mm. just trying to get out to more people yeah bring you quality content yeah this is super quality content. Yeah. Where I spend 10 minutes looking up what movie we're going to watch. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. So uh, until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>